Hello there, listener. My name is Seth Decker, and I am a director. I'm here to sell you something, and it's not Blue Apron or subscription service or MeUndies or anything like that. It's an opportunity to give to a really cool Indiegogo. If you go to Indiegogo.com and type in The Bludgeoning or Montressor Media, you will be greeted by a page for a horror comedy that we've been working on for the last few months. I've been self-financing the pre-production so far. Our hotels are booked. Flights are scheduled for our cast to come in. We are ready to shoot. This Indiegogo is just to help us upgrade our equipment. We know that we can deliver a really killer image on the equipment that we have in-house, but being able to rent some legitimate Hollywood toys would just mean the world to us. We're going to use this Indiegogo to rent an Ari Alexa Mini. That's the same thing they shot Blade Runner 2049 on. We're going to be bringing in a really cool lighting package that allows us to light really amazing colors and bring a really vibrant feel to Salem, where we're going to be shooting the movie on location. I'm excited about this. This is a huge step for me in my career, potentially turning into the ability to, to make movies professionally for us and this team. And it's been made possible by all of these cool podcasts that we've been working with as, as creative outlets over the years, teaching us how to, to dissect stories. Now we're making our own story. It's really awesome, and I'm so excited. Please go to Indiegogo.com, type in Montressor Media or The Bludgeoning. Every single level has really cool rewards that exponentially get cooler. Just starting off at the $10 level, you're going to get access to a digital comic of this movie. We're going to do a comic adaptation of the movie that you'll get access to just for giving us the 10 bucks to get this project done. Like that in and of itself is amazing. But we have levels going all the way up to a producer level where you could get IMDb credit for a feature film potentially going out through distributors like Lionsgate or Shudder or A24 or The Bludgeoning. That's where we're aiming. No promises yet, but that's where we're aiming. We're guaranteed an Amazon release at this point. So, like, the project is happening. Do you want to buy a ticket onto the train is the question. I'm not selling any kind of subscription service. I'm selling a real cowboy dream of making movies on our own dime, on our own turf, on our own rules. There's no producer studio oversight. We are the ones making this movie. I think that's awesome. I appreciate all your time. I'm sure I've taken enough of your time for this podcast that you're listening to currently. I appreciate you you taking the time to listen to me please consider giving to the Indiegogo or checking us out on social media. If you just want to chat about the project more, I'm here for that. At Montressor Media on TikTok, Instagram, or Twitter. Reach out to us there if you have any burning questions. This isn't celebrities in Hollywood that you can't reach out to. We're real people that you can talk to about an actual professional movie that's being made. I think that's really killer. Please consider giving to the project. Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, The Darkest Timeline. I'm Axel Wright, and with me as always is... Lord Commander Ulrich. And hey, Lord Commander Ulrich, how you doing today? It is uh, certainly The Darkest Timeline. Yeah. By the way, I actively chose not to do my, what I'm going to call my smooth jazz voice, because I found a different outlet for it. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I um I just started a new D&D character in one of my campaigns that is a rabbit bard, and I got, and then that voice is his voice. So, oh, no. 
yeah, I'm having fun with it. Anyway, that's every other Saturday. So I can't promise you won't hear it again sometime soon if I'm feeling the, the desire. But just saying, for now, different place to use it. <laughs> Reason 10,001 to never play D&D again. <laughs> He's got to play with the right people, my friend. Anyway, it's been a while since we've done something. It's yep. We've had a little hiatus because Ulrich has been moving. Yep. How are you feeling about it? <laughs> I I hate moving. I, I hate it with all my being. And this was, just real quick, this is everything that went wrong with this move. The day we were supposed to move in and get half our stuff moved over, we couldn't because they screwed up the scheduling. So instead of doing the move across two days, we had to do it in one. Ooh, ooh, that's double rush. No. It gets better. Then when I went to my the day job, the time I was supposed to get out had been extended two hours, but I'd already paid for a U-Haul at the time I thought I was getting out of work. Mm-hmm. So I lost two hours on a U-Haul rental oh. and had even less time to get all my moving done. Uh, how was Slagathor during this? Slagathor was doing the best that she could, and full credit, she helped me carry a very large, very heavy barbecue up a flight of stairs. Jeez. And we didn't think that it would, you know, work. So... Every part of me hurt in new and horrendous ways, and then I got to go back to work the next day for a full shift. I'm sorry to hear that, my friend. Moving fucking sucks, and I hate it. But the new apartment is much nicer than the old apartment, so small victories. Fingers crossed the tech gods are more happy with this apartment than the last one. So. <laughs> oh, and it proceeded to rain the entire time we were moving. Miserable. I mean, yeah. I've I've been lost in the throes of the deep sad recently, but I didn't have to deal with that at least. <laughs> like I said, moving is a horrible experience, but I am a semi-nomadic person, so I end up doing it every six months to three years. On a somewhat positive note for me, I've got a date on Saturday and maybe another one next week. So I actually am still figuring out how the when things become exclusive when you're first meeting people kind of thing because I don't want to be a scumbag and I'm trying very hard but I don't navigating these waters is very difficult for me okay so that'll be our our, our next podcast polyamorous geeks oh I definitely don't <laughs> no no offense no offense to my most recent ex who I am still friends with and actually share a D and D table with but after them. I am not dating a polyamorous person again. No offense to polyamorous people. All respect to you, but personally, just can't do it. <laughs> so, I tried. Uh, we're not doing a th- no, 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 no more podcasts. This, this has gotten entirely out of control with the amount of podcasts we juggle. Now, we've gone on too long with side things. Before we get into the real topic we're here to discuss, we've got some patrons, some wonderful members of the illustrious Legion who actually throw dollars at us to, to, for, we to, for us to do what we do, which is a huge asset to us, and the least we could do is say their names out loud. The list I have in front of me is Pam Galley, Marquis, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vay, Brennan Agnew, John Vinnels, Kit Kenny, Seth Decker, Donald Lucy, Nathan Willis, Patrick Anderson, Karsten Emil, and Scott Rubin. I feel like there was missing someone. If so, then Oracle will have me re-record it later. Anyway, if you'd like to become a patron, you can head on over to our Patreon, Geeks with Shields, for a dollar a month. You get, you know, 25 cents an episode. We tend to put out four or more things per month, unless something weird happens, like Ulrich moves. <laughs> and that 25 cents an episode goes a long way towards helping us. So, Ulrich, what are we talking about today? I mean, I know, but tell them. <laughs> so, if 
everything goes according to plan, this will drop the same week as the Moon Knight finale on Disney+. Plus. So we're doing something which, when I thought about I'm surprised we haven't done before. We're going to talk about Moon Knight, which, if you follow us on Twitter or interact with us at all, you know I love me some Moon Knight, and I've really been looking forward to this show. We have only seen the first episode. At, at time of recording, only the first episode is out. We'll peek behind the scenes. Also, yep. if you have been paying attention, yes, Ulrich is a big Moon Knight fan. Now, Axel is a comic fan in general. We've had many conversations with these kind of things. Moon Knight happens to be one of the characters I know almost nothing about. I know some stuff. I know the memes. I know some of them are over-exaggerated and some of them are not. But I, I'm going into this very blind to what this character is. And the last time that I went into an MCU Disney property where I had this little amount of knowledge was probably Guardians of the Galaxy. So... Yeah, no, I've been I've been waiting for this since before we started the podcast. Like Moon Knight has been on that. The list is pretty much done. I have pretty much every like every MCU character I want is is in there. I don't think there's any more characters except a fully united Winter Guard. But uh, for me, Kamala Khan will be a big one for getting off my list, and a live action Miles Morales would be a big one, but that will pretty much get everything I want, so... Yeah, I mean, it's getting real down to the wire, because, I mean, I can say Thunderbolts, but most of the big players are already there. You know, I guess at this point, no offense to Miles, I think I'd rather have Spider-Gwen, I think, but uh, different podcast, so... Yeah. <laughs> All right, we anyway, did, so... Moon we Knight, did that, we did that. There was a podcast of that in the past, but... Yeah, but... And you would think that, with Ulrich being such a big fan, and us talking every week that I would know more about it, but we've actually kind of avoided talking about it. Ulrich has told me a little bit, but I wouldn't be surprised if Ulrich kind of on purpose is held back out of hope that something like this might happen where I can then get kind of introduced to it through a show as opposed to him telling me stuff. Yeah, this has been really fun to watch people like going scrolling through social media because the people that know Moon Knight are like, oh, this is this is great. And the people that don't know Moon Knight are like, what the hell did I just watch? And why right, is it so, so good? So before we get into it, we're going to do a quick, like, 30-second no-spoiler impressions, each of us, just to get that out of the way. Because after that, we're going to talk about everything going on in the episode, and it's on you after that. So my quick spiel, as someone who doesn't know anything about Moon Knight, I enjoyed it. It's really good. Uh, Oscar Isaacs is a great actor. He's doing something interesting with his performance that I haven't seen from him specifically. It's it's setting up a mystery in a way that isn't anything new if you're a cinephile, but it's still seemingly being done pretty well here. And Ethan Hawke's in it. And if you know anything about Ethan Hawke, the guy has one of the best track records for role choices. Now, he's not perfect, but he still has one of the <laughs> better track records as far as actors are concerned. And what he's doing here, I'm guessing they reveal his name pretty early on, and I'm guessing if you're a Moon Knight fan, it probably set off some alarms. To me, it means nothing, but already nope. I'm... <laughs> he's a Z-lister. Oh, well, anyway, point is, he's interesting to me already. There's And so I, I am looking forward to the next episode. That's my 30-second spiel. Uh, okay, mine? Uh, it's good. I, I have been very worried that it might not be good, but it's good. They're hitting all the pieces. They seem to be working around some of the more questionable elements of the character. Um, it, and there's, 
I'm not sure what I can say, except it's really good, and I'm happy to see it without, I don't want to spoil things. Um, okay, if you're curious, well. I'll just let that there. If you're curious who Moon Knight's traditional enemies are, there's only a couple. There's Bushmaster and Kansu. Those are, pa- those are uh, Moon Knight's major enemies. Okay, so from this point forward, it, it, it gets a thumbs up from both of us. Hey, go watch. It's recommended. So from this point forward, we're gonna t- any part of the conversation is going to be open. So spoilers here on out. And even though it's the first episode, but still, it's trying to be a good content creator here and give you, the listener, fair warning. Before we get into it, if somehow you've managed to not see Moon Knight memes or don't know, maybe you have but didn't know that's what they were, Moon Knight is a character that, from my little understanding, has a silly element to him. Moon Knight, as he's written on the page, is uh, he looks kind of like like if Batman was Moon Man instead, like costume-wise. He's just got like moon stuff, and he's fully like dressed up like a ninja. And apparently, and Oracle, correct me if I'm wrong, in the comic, he's got a odd streak, possibly because he has dissociative identity disorder. So yeah. he'll have... He'll have things happen like one of the memes that I was told was accurate is there's a, a, a comic where him and Spider-Man are interacting with a bunch of people. And suddenly there's a scene where some villain is monologuing and Moon Knight leans into Spider-Man and goes, hey, I zoned out. I don't, what's going on? Spider-Man says, just punch whoever I punch. And apparently that kind of humor is common. Of course, the Internet has taken it and amplified it. So the, the first meme of Moon Knight, the first picture of Moon Knight I ever saw was a picture of him coming down the stairs going, uh, Dracula, come out and give me my money, or something like that. Which Dracula, you D&D playing bitch, where's my money? Yeah, which that one isn't real, but apparently is an amplified version of something that kind of happened. So here's the real quick thing you have to know about Moon Knight that's both a positive and a negative, in that every writer does their own thing with him. Okay. So there's very little consistency between runs. There's also very... There's not... A lot, there's some really, really good runs, and there's some really, really bad runs. So uh, the more comedic ones, Brian Michael Bendis kind of picked him up and had a lot of fun with him. And at its best, it's really good. At its worst, it's Deadpool light in the that, I was, himself. I was thinking that, but I was afraid to say it because I feel like light in this term isn't a bad or a good thing. It's just a descriptor. Like, he is hitting the same kind of beats as Deadpool, but with less of an intensity. So Yeah. So, no, that's definitely, if you're in the Bendis stuff, that's my whole how that one works. But he's an inherently weird character because he's kind of a C-lister as far as Marvel's concerned. So he's always had a lot of, you know, creative freedom. So he gets to do weird kind of out-there things. Yeah, so that's that's the comic book character from this show, from what I can glean, and again, Laura can correct me where uh, he knows better. His powers are probably derived from an Egyptian god, since the episode is all about Egyptian gods. The main character, Steven, played by Oscar Isaacs, is this really kind of lame, nerdy guy who works at a gift shop in an Egyptian museum, uh, who has a major problem sleepwalking, apparently, as in he ties himself to his bed, he puts a line of sand around his bed so he can see if there's any footprints, he puts tape on his door to see if the door has been opened, he has multiple, like, 
He's going to insane lengths to keep himself from sleepwalking. So yeah, while he's we- falling asleep during the day, and he looks very haggard, and he's always talking about, you know, I feel like I'm not getting any sleep. Yeah, and and he's he's constantly researching about something called the Ennead, which is apparently the group of nine Egyptian gods. I wonder how close it is to actual Egyptian mythology, which I know very little about. But I'm in the same boat, but I feel like they're not going to make. They're not going to divert too much because they've done a fairly good job with Thor. Yeah. And I feel like the pressure's really on more here now that, you know, it's a different era. They're not going to, you know, people aren't going to let them make stuff up as much. True. And in the, I feel like the show is tipping its hand very hard in a good way when there's a moment early on where there's a poster for the museum that depicts the Ennead and it's got seven gods on it. And Steven makes a whole thing about, actually, there are nine gods. And so this one's missing two of them. And so two, and then we've got a villain played by Ethan Hawke who seems to be obsessed with a goddess Amit, who seemed to be uh, the judge. I always thought Osiris and Anubis were the judges in Egyptian mythology, but I don't know about Amit, so I can't say. Amit, I think that's the crocodile monster creature that eats the hearts of the wicked. Yeah, okay, that's true. But even he doesn't do the weighing in original mythology. That's I'm pretty sure Anubis does the weighing, and then if you fail the scale, he feeds your heart to Ahmed. But not the point. Yeah. Point is that we don't know what two gods are missing from the poster. We just know two gods are missing, and we know that the villain's obsessed with a god, and we know that the hero is having visions of a bird-skulled, mummy-wrapped thing. That oh. It's like a person with a bird skull for a head wrapped in bandages. So, so can we talk about that opening um, with uh, Ethan Hawke and putting the glass in his shoes? Oh, yeah. Because that just made me just want to curl up in a little ball on the couch of uncomfortable. Just like, oh, so, you, oh, you sick bastard. So, I mean, Ulrich basically said straight up, but there's an opening where Ethan Hawke's character breaks a, a glass. He takes a drink from a glass of alcohol. Then he breaks the glass, fills his shoes with the shards, puts his feet in the shoes, and walks away. Now... When I was five years old, I watched my mother pull glass shards out of her foot. So that one hit me <laughs> in a very uncomfortable place. <laughs> That's just an uncomfortable scene. And way to set up your stakes, because who oh, damn. I well, mean, this shows you that something is deeply wrong with this person. But yes. But when Ethan Hawke's character shows up, and I'm just going to call him Ethan Hawke because we don't know. And I think I said his name once or twice, but I didn't internalize it yet. Yeah. Uh, but he has this tattoo that all of his followers have of scales on his arm, except when he, the hawk, when he is judging someone, like he, he grabs their arms, he puts them together, he puts a cane in between their arms, and the cane goes back and forth, his tattoo scales move as well. And we've seen the first person he does this to passes, the second person doesn't, and the person who doesn't pass just kind of dies on the spot, like their life is sucked away from them. Again, found but, failing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, reminds me of a story about an airport that you once showed me. <laughs> anyway, we should bring that up sometime. I really like that story. But not the point. So so we've got this guy, Stephen, who no one calls him by his name. I feel like there's actually something, now that I think about it, that's probably a really important detail that, like, no one is calling him by what his name is. People are either calling him bad nicknames or the guy at the front desk calls him the wrong name entirely. But those are, like, just because people don't care about him. Meanwhile, there's a other, another group of people, a voice on a phone and a voice in his head, who are calling him by a specific different name, Mark. 
And honestly, I feel like if you're an intelligent viewer, it's easy to pick up on him having a split personality really quickly. So so the episode doesn't live or breathe on what is going on, because it's pretty easy to figure out that aspect of what's going on really quick. It's more, what are the other details? Why is he seeing a crazy mummified bird thing? What is with this cult that is worshipping, like, Ahmed? What is this scarab thing that his split personality apparently is grabbing? Why is there a voice that's referring to him and his split personality separately, and referring to him as a parasite and Mark as, like, the good thing? Like, these are the mysteries that are, like, okay, that's what we're trying to figure out. <laughs> yeah, and oh, there's, as a Moon Knight fan, there's so much good stuff. One thing I will say, I'm, I'm, I'm tiptoe because theoretically, if you're listening to this, the whole show is aired, you know where this is all going, you know all this stuff. But I'm trying not to spoil a lot of it for Axel because so much of this is the not knowing. But you are right, and here's a fun fact from the comic. Stephen Grant in the comics is Mark's billionaire persona. Oh, so this is very different there. <laughs> it's the rich playboy, you know, he's the most, uh, he's the Bruce Wayne-ish one. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I was like, I don't think he's the billionaire. I'm like, no, this is kind of a fun subversion on that one if you're coming and expecting. But so many of the personas don't really work in, you know, 2021 terms. I have heard, I read an article that mentioned that Moon Knight in the comic has more than two personalities. Here so far, we're seeing two and maybe a third one. My hypothesis is that the voice that's referring to him as a parasite and Mark separately is the god that's granting Mark, the Mark persona, the powers. Because at the end of the episode, Mark has to take over. Stephen has to give up control to Mark. And when he does it willingly, suddenly bandages start, like, appearing out of nowhere. And then he's in the Moon Knight getup and beats the hell out of what looks like in a, a, a jackal monster. So. Yep. so my guess is there are between two to five personalities in this show. I mean, so That's far we've only seen evidence of three, but I'm listening. So. Yeah. No, uh, the posters have confirmed that Mr. Knight will be in the show at some point, which I'm super excited for. I'm curious how they're going to do him. Is that one of the personalities? Yes. That's one. His costume is it's a business suit. I think I've seen a picture of that. that. That was one of the posters. And I saw that, and I'm like, oh, they're doing Mr. Knight. In the comics, Mr. Knight is his very brutal, aggressive, violent personality. Hmm. Yeah. Out of curiosity, did you watch, I, I don't know how long it lasted, but wasn't there, uh, there, there wasn't a show for Legion a couple years back? Did you I see that? I did watch Legion. I never finished it. It was really, really, really trippy. I watched the first episode, and unfortunately, I watched it on a 4K TV, so I couldn't help but be distracted by how terrible everything looked. Yeah, I just upgraded to a 4K. Some stuff looks really good, and some stuff's like, ooh. Yeah, it needs to be stuff made for 4K TV. Not the point. The point is that if you don't know Legion, who's basically a D-list X-Men character, Legion's thing is he's basically Apocalypse if Apocalypse had thousands of personalities. Yeah. And the reason I bring up Legion is because it's a Marvel character whose shtick is multiple personalities with different power sets. Now, I'm not saying that Moon Knight necessarily has different power sets, but I'm just wondering, like, how it, I don't know, compares, I guess, when we're dealing with a similar so, kind of topic here. Here's the thing. I'll break down real quick the three prime personalities and what they do and how they work. The main personality is Mark Spector. Okay. The second personality is Stephen Grant. He's, you know... The rich playboy, because Mark Spector is technically dead. I was going to say, is is Stephen, because this show implies that Stephen is the original 
person before whatever the split happened. But yeah. Mark is, the case? is the, no, Mark is the primary. Really? Huh. Yes. Okay. But Mark Spector is technically dead, which okay. I won't go into Moon Knight's origins because I want that to be a surprise and see where they go. Okay. And there's a third personality, Jake Lockley, who is a New York cabbie who kind of monitors the underground. Because that's the fun thing about Moon Knight. Moon Knight is the protector of those who travel by night. You know, and by the way, not to derail you real quick, but that makes me – I was just latching onto that Mark thing because one thing that I noticed right off the bat was that Oscar Isaac's accent – Seemed kind of um It's bad. A lot well, of people have pointed it out. <laughs> it's a lot, is what it is. Yeah. I wouldn't say necessarily it's bad, but it's a lot. It feels very hammy. But if the whole idea is that Mark is his truest self, that means that Steven is a personality that came out later, which would explain why he has an over the top British accent, because he's not a British person. So <laughs> that's why I was wondering. So anyway. Sorry, continue. Yeah. Protect those who travel at night, which is a fun thing in the comics, because what that basically relates to is Moon Knight has two things he fights. He fights ghosts and monsters and demons, and he fights sex traffickers, pimps, and muggers. Okay. I have heard you refer to him as, as Marvel's Batman, which is funny That's, because it kind of is. It's because he kind of looks like Batman with you know the get up and the gear, and he has a billionaire persona. Yeah, but, but it also sounds like he fights a lot of the same kind of things. So kind of, but the old argument is Bruce Wayne doesn't really do anything to make Gotham better. Which is a bullshit argument, but anyway, <laughs> he's got a billion dollars. Okay, a lot of that money could be going to you know a lot. It of is. Things. It is. Someone, there's actually a Twitter that's all about pointing out all the times that they have specified Bruce's extensive philanthropy. Bruce is actually doing an insane amount of stuff for Gotham, but that's another comment. And what the comment. hell's wrong with Gotham? Uh, the point, let me put it this way. Bruce's net worth is $80 billion. The city of New York spends annually on social programs $100 billion. Meaning that, yeah. meaning that Bruce could give up his entire fortune and it wouldn't cover one year of Gotham's social programs. I'm just saying, if Batman's a super genius that can, you know, solve his way out of anything, he could find a budget program that would help Gotham get their shit together. But he is, he is. But the idea is supposed to be that Gotham is just too far gone. That Batman's fighting a losing battle. That even with all his money and intelligence, Gotham itself can't be saved. It's actually like Dick Grayson, such an interesting character. But that's a whole nother podcast. Anyway. Anyways, so one of like there's a great Moon Knight run where one episode he has to go and raid his magical store to fight ghost pirates. <laughs> ghost like pirates, he literally right. comes decked out in all this crazy ancient Egyptian artifacts and bare knuckle, you know, just beats them with these, you know, Egyptian style brass knuckles. <laughs> because nice. that's the magic angle. And then another one is he goes and he rescues a bunch of kids from being human trafficked. That sounds dark. It is, but that's what that's kind of his whole thing. Well, you know, is, it's funny you bring that up because I think it's one of the most important scenes in the first episode is just Stephen goes and tells a a kid, like he just sees a kid in the muse- museum and he starts telling the kid about Egyptian stuff and he's just interacting with the kid very well, showing that he gets along with kids. The scene takes a easily, I think, forgettable little twist when he's telling the girl about the weighing of the souls and whether you could get to the field of wreaths, I think, which is basically Egyptian heaven. And she looks at him and says, that must have sucked when you were rejected. And he goes, well, I'm not dead. 
So that has a mix. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah. So like that implies, I mean, that could imply a lot of things, but the idea, right, that she's at, to be optimistic, she is a child who somehow sees the truth of who he is. And there might be something going on there in the background of like, I mean, my hypothesis, and I purposely do not want you to say anything when I say this, Ulrich, literally just move on to your next topic. But uh, my hypothesis is that Mark, if he's the true one, like did die, was rejected, but somehow made a deal or did somehow caught the attention of whatever moon god. And so the Egyptian god brought him back, but coming back from the death is what fractured his mind. That would be my my hypothesis for the time being. Anyway, continue. Yeah, so... Like the latest run, which I haven't read, I think is called uh, the Church of Night, where he is he's setting up a church that's all about helping people on the streets. That's his whole mission is to help, you know, people that travel by night. Okay. so that's that's what makes him again. He's this weird. He's Batman, but he's not Batman in that, you know, his whole thing is, yeah, he he fights magic and mystical stuff because he's kind of got to. But he also, you know does daredevil style stuff and tries to help people that you know travel by night so there's that whole thing i don't know they're gonna do that much much. they're very much i think they're building a supernatural team with blade and black knight and now moon knight fair enough that makes sense it could lead up to something like um i don't know i was thinking of justice league dark and dc which would be the same kind of idea but here i think i think the supernatural team of the avengers is literally called the dark avengers i think so i think i've read about that yeah yeah, and I always get that mixed up with uh, whatever the Avengers were called in Dark Reign. Well, anyway, I have no more particular things to say. Again, Oscar Isaacs is doing a uh, killer job, and I will watch anything Ethan Hawke is in because most of the time he's a, a very good judge of scripts. And I am not tired of the MCU stuff. I will say that I'm surprised the show takes some interesting dips into horror, uh, just mm-hmm. in a, cu- a couple moments with the little moments. But I am. I want to see more, and uh, I'll have more to say when we see the next episode, I guess. Yeah, no, there's definitely, this is a bit dark, and they're kind of doing that. They're very much leaning in the supernatural stuff. And you can tell that I, Moon Knight is definitely going on to be part of the bigger MCU hole, because you don't cast Oscar Isaac to be your character if you're just going to have him plunk around in your Disney Plus shows. He's too expensive for that. Yeah. So I don't know where he's going to go, but this this is my vague-ish predictions with as minimal spoilers as possible. I think that the multiple personalities was a fail-safe to protect him from being judged. Because remember, there's that scene when he chose and just tries to judge him, he goes, there's chaos in That's true. So like maybe the scale literally can't judge, judge him, him because, because he's not one person. Interesting. Because the other cool thing about Moon Knight is, depending on who's writing him, he's either crazy, like legit, none of this is all in his head, this is a real Egyptian god, this is an alien, this is an alien artifact he came into contact with, this is all, he's in a mental asylum and this is all in his head, it's very unreliable narrator. Fair enough. I am surprised... um and to me, this is not a positive or a negative, so don't get up in arms. But I am surprised that the whole first episode went by without, from what I can tell, a single reference to the MCU at large. Like, 
A lot yeah. of the other shows will have at least a passing by thing in the background or something. I saw nothing here. Which no, I was surprised. I was kind of happy because when they have his you know villain speech, imagine you know if this deity had been allowed to feed before, there'd be no you know Hitler, no Pol Pot, no I'm like oh you're doing all real world references, no yeah. you know Thanos, no Loki. Like okay, it would have been which, super easy even just to say like no Hydra or something. But mm-hmm. yeah, they, no, yeah. they just literally went and called out real world ones. And I like that because I, we're doing my favorite, that villain who's like, I like, I understand your argument, but I don't necessarily think you should be deciding these things. Well, just because we don't know at all what his end game is right now. So. What's, I mean, you walk around on glass. I don't necessarily trust your. So, yeah, yeah. that's my first big prediction, because the other thing is I, I don't know if they want to do dissociative identity disorder as basically anything nowadays because they did end this you know this episode ends with you know uh i think it was the suicide prevention hotline or some mental they, they they reference you know if you're needing help regarding mental health because that is and it's very it's not a good look to have your character's superpower is that he's crazy or well Ill. multiple personality disorders have been used as a narrative trick in fiction for so long that it yep. has created a a set of incorrect perceptions in the popular eye about dissociative identity disorder. So while it is a good narrative trick for situations like this, I do think it's responsible to to say something like that at the end. Yeah. I think what they're going to do is he's not going to have dissociative identity disorder. They're going to take that part out. But he is going to have merciful personalities as a result of having the powers because it's also kind of implied when when Moon Knight got his power from a god or from an alien artifact, it was the shock of that was so great that it caused his brain to fracture. Well, another hypothesis I might have is if he did die and he was being judged and if he made a deal or something like that, then while he was in the purgatory or the afterlife, it could be not even other personality, but literally other souls that are mm-hmm. inhabiting his body. So it would be another thing I might no, think. There's, there's a lot of ways to get around it because a lot of people are like, I don't know how you're going to do a superhero who has multiple personalities in this day and age. Because I think a lot of people are also kind of concerned. It's like, but should a white guy be, you know, the representative of an Egyptian god? Yeah, they've, they've kind of got around that one. They've kind of got around that one being it's not kind of like the god said, and you shall be my representative equal footing, as much as it is the god said, your soul is mine and you will do what I say. But also, as a side note, Oscar Isaacs is not a white guy at all. Yeah. His, his full name is uh, Oscar Isaac Hernandez Estrada, and he was born in Guatemala. So Yeah, I don't know. I'm a little... Moon Knight is also one of the uh, few Jewish characters in the MCU. Well, I'm just saying that this Oscar Isaacs is is I don't know what the proper term for this is, but uh, he's a he's person a, of color, but he's not a white person. Yeah, he's got a Guatemalan mother and a Cuban father. He's not white yeah. at all. So, so no, there's that one. But again, like the way they do it in the comics, of uh, this isn't necessarily he was chosen. It was the god picked him and said, "Guess what? You're mine now." And they have a very antagonistic relationship, to say the least. Hey, everyone. Axel Wright from the Geeks with Shields here with Lord Commander Or. Uh, we're here with uh, yet another week in Moon Knight, which we didn't know if we were going to do every episode coverage. We still don't really know that, but we're flying by the seat of our pants here. So, <laughs> episode two. It's, it's, it's fun. We're going to try and keep cranking these out. 
we'll see how it goes. Episode two, Mr. Knight shows up and he's nothing like the comics. Yeah, again, I know nothing about Moon Knight in the comics, really, but I thought that from our conversation last time that Mr. Knight in the comics is like, kind of like, doesn't Hulk have Mr. Fix-It? Yeah, kind of like Hulk has Mr. Fix-It. Hulk has Mr. Fix-It. Yeah, but no, apparently instead the design for Mr. Knight has been taken so that, uh, oh, okay, real quick, before we get into that non-spoiler version, it's still good, still enjoying it. They're taking it in somehow simultaneously a more serious and a more jokey direction, which from what I can tell feels appropriate for the character. Like, more serious, everything to do with Ethan Hawke's character. More jokey, everything to do with Khonshu, which is the the entity behind the Moon Knight character. So, Khonshu's a dick in the comics, so it works. Yeah, so anyway, spoiler free, it's good. Keep going. Um, I still have high hopes. Ulrich? Yeah. I have, I had to separate what I love about the comics from what I love about this show, this episode, because the comics very rarely give definitive hard answers on a lot of things, and this kind of does. Also, this is way more magically based than the comic is, but the bits are still there. It's still really good. I love that Khonshu is like a dickhead like he is in the comics he's very antagonistic i'm okay with them changing mr knight from his comic origins if only because it raises new and interesting questions about the suit and how that works and the personalities still a fun time all right so from this point forward you have been warned we'll talk about anything in the episode anyway so mr knight from my understanding and or can correct me because he's the i'm not gonna use don't the e-word. use that word that gets us people <laughs> I, I, I caught myself we don't use the e-word here it's on the banned word list so but Ulrich is the knowledgeable one of the two of us there we go mr knight is like another personality that he has in the comics that's a lot more like a uh, like a businessman or like a slick kind of spy kind of character whereas here what they've decided is that the suit, the the Moon Knight suit, which is apparently the ceremonial armor of Khonshu, the Egyptian moon god, when it's summoned by Mark Spector, the personality that seemed to be the the one doing crazy James Bond stuff last episode, it looks like his design, the normal Moon Knight design. But then Stephen, basically, basically he figures out how to summon the suit, but he really hyper focused on the word suit. So when he summoned it, it takes on the form of a like a tux, essentially. And that's where the Mr. Knight design is here. It's not another personality. It's what Steven wears when he accesses the Moon Knight powers. Yeah, so we'll see where that goes. But in the comics, Mr. Knight is implied to be another personality. And he is the most brutal and aggressive of the personalities. Ooh. That's very opposite, then, of what's going on here. Yeah, because fun fact about Moon Knight in his fighting style, he doesn't dodge the blows. Hmm. And it's uh, fun. Sorry, Taskmaster, like, of all the people, he, he hates two, he hates imitating the fighting style of two people. He hates fighting Deadpool, and he hates fighting Moon Knight for the same reason. Neither of them dodge blows. That makes sense. Also, you might have seen this, because I saw this. There's a panel that went along, uh, around the internet for a while of Moon Knight throwing stuff. And he has this line that makes him seem like very random because but it turns out there's a there's a setup to it. So the setup in the comic is that there are these two crooks 
and they're fighting Moon Knight, and one's got a gun on him, and one crook says to the other, hey, be careful, Moon Knight will throw random bullshit at you. And then the other crook goes, please, I've got him dead, to rights. And then Moon Knight goes, random bullshit, go, and throws stuff. And I had seen that third panel, but not the setup, which changes the tone entirely. It means that Moon Knight heard the crook saying this and was purposely mocking them, which yeah. is a very different mentality than what I thought. So, so no, I like so – I do have one – it's not so much an issue for me, but it is what I'm seeing a lot of people say of this feels like we're treading in place with – and people are chasing Steven, and he doesn't know what's going on, and he feels kind of crazy. I get that. I do think – okay, a couple things about that. First of all, real quick, Conchu is funny. That's why I get that out there. We'll come back to that in a second. But I I think that Steven actually figures it out. In the last episode, I felt like he was being kind of slow in figuring out. Like I felt like the answer to what was happening was obvious. But – I accepted it because it felt more like someone who was trying to willfully deny what they know, like, which is happens all the time. Like, if, if there's some horrible truth, your brain tries to protect you from it. Yep. This time, it feels like he accepts it actually pretty quick. He's just not good at articulating himself. He's a very nervous, anxious wreck, so he can't explain it to other people, which is why my favorite moment in probably the whole episode two is when he gets pulled out of the back of the car and, and Ethan Hawke's character, I'm I gotta learn his name eventually, but it's like, hey, we hit a radio in there so we could hear you when you thought no one was listening, so we could get a better understanding of your situation. And from that point forward, Ethan Hawke's character knows completely what's going on, and it just was a really brilliant like little move. Like, of course, what Stephen Grant was doing in the precepts was confusing, but now with this one simple little trick, it's all out in the open. I guess. Yeah. And it's like, I, I want to get your thing. I don't like how it, I feel like they simplified their villains in this episode. Last episode, when you're introduced, there was a degree of moral grayness to it, but now they just think like, well, they murder children's like, and there goes any moral grayness. Well, hold on. What I think is going on there is interesting is that, Ethan Hawke's character is presented as being very morally gray. He has seemingly has a righteous kind of idea and a goal, similar to a lot of the best villains. And his defense, I think what's happening more is that they're like, hey, we recognize that this character seems like they're morally gray. But then Steven, who is a an avatar of innocence, when you really think about it, like he's just a pure person. He's the one who figures out like, wait, the consequences of your philosophy mean you might kill a child, and I literally draw the line there. That's the show being, like, morally gray. You can be as morally gray as you want. There can be justified or anything, but some people, you have to draw a line somewhere. This is Steven's line, and he's yeah. not crossing it. So I don't know. That one I feel kind of... But it does kind of feed in to something I think is interesting and kind of a theory of... Mark Spector is not a good person, and he oh, knows he's all. not a good person. Certainly. And Stephen represents the good version of him, which is funny because Stephen Grant is the successful billionaire, billionaire playboy philanthropist version in the comics. So it's like, okay, you're still kind of getting at what he was in the comics, you know, the successful good version of Mark Spector. 
but he's it's about being morally good here yes. instead of being like successful good. Yes. So, so like Stephen, thing. Yeah, like Stephen is an awkward, nervous, anxious mess, but he's genuinely, seemingly a good person. So yeah, and that kind of goes in with my theory of maybe the personalities were created as a failsafe to protect Moon Knight from the judgment. Well, it's also, remember, Ethan Hawke has that line, because we find out in this episode that uh, that Ethan used to be Conchu's avatar. So he was the mm-hmm. previous Moon Knight. So he knows what's going on, which is really funny when he starts, like, figure, perfectly predicting what Conchu is saying to Steven. I love that little moment there. But, but he has a line where he says, was your fractured mind weak enough for Conchu to overtake, or was it not fractured before he took it and he broke it? Like, yeah, he's putting forward the I don't know how you got DID, whether it was because of Conchu or did Conchu choose you because you already had it. But either way, you know, it's relating to Conchu. Yeah, no, I love that Conchu is so much like he is in the comic. He's an antagonistic asshole. He's very opportunistic. Uh, it's a blackmailer. Yeah, Mark Spector is not his first one. Like in the comics, we discover he's had a couple variants, you know, including the Boogeyman. Well, we also really get a strong vibe that Khonshu is. We get a vibe that everything that Ethan Hawke's character says about him is correct. He's yes. he's petty and petulant, and he's like a child throwing a tantrum, and he's gonna do what he wants to get what he wants. If that even that includes literally threatening a woman to keep Mark in line, so I will say this and make lots of internet friends. He's the good version of Venom. Ooh, uh, I'm not touching that one. Okay, I know you're not. I will happily claim that one. So I like that we're taking that because I said last episode Mark only really has a handful of traditional enemies. One being Bushmaster, the other being Konshu, and yeah, and it kind of goes with the whole. This isn't like an honor that Conchu chose Mark. This was much a devil's bargain. Well, he also says Conchu makes it very clear you were a corpse when I found you. Mm-hmm. So that kind of reveals that we still don't know if Steven or Mark is the true quote unquote the the true self and which one is the altar. But yeah. but either way, whatever it was, they were dead when yep. Conchu found them. So. Like I said, in the comics, Mark Spector is dead. So I'm curious who this But the other thing that's kind of becoming readily apparent outside of this is Moon Knight is definitely moving up to the Avengers. He was at Disney World all week this week. Oh, neat. So at the Avengers campus, mind you. So I did see I did see a great video of at the red carpet reveal of the episode one. There was this kid, maybe like six years old, that had been dressed up in a super high quality Moon Knight outfit with glowing eyes and everything. And, uh, and Oscar Isaac was like, oh, look at this. He took pictures with them, and it was, it was really cool. Oh, Oscar Isaac loves Moon Knight, which is really kind of cool and exciting to see he's passionate about the character. So definitely he's moving up. And, I mean, that's kind of where we get their leaning. He's got supernatural powers. Like, he's he's definitely stronger. He's definitely faster. What did you think about the Jackal being invisible to everyone but him? I think... <laughs> I think it's a great way to have fight scenes that are both comedic and also tense because yep. watching watching Steven in the suit fight something that's not there and just seeing what everyone else is seeing transitions from funny to terrifying on a dime. 
Like, it's funny when he's just, like, swinging at seemingly nothing. It becomes terrifying when you see him getting lifted up off the ground by nothing. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was a fun callback to the comics because the comics would do kind of things like that. But it would never make it clear, like, wait, is he really fighting something or is he imagining it? Yeah, here it feels like it's pretty certain that he's definitely. Oh, it's 100 percent there. And they can't do the weird blurred lines that the comic did. That just doesn't work in this medium. I will say I'm still on the side that I think Mark Spector, by the way, is the true self, because I still think that uh, Stephen Grant's accent is that way on purpose. Well, we met his wife, which is interesting. They changed her name, but in the comics, that's Marlene, and they have an interesting relationship. I like the implication that she's also a mercenary. Yeah, because it was very tipping back and forth about how much she knows, but she's seen the suit. She knew what the scarab was. She is hunted for the scarab, which makes Mark's protestations about getting her involved seem kind of hollow, honestly. So yeah. it feels like I- they are him being mm, ignorant. <laughs> I'm not going to tip her comic book origin just in case it ends up being relevant further down the line. Yeah. But I'm I'm still waiting on if they're going to have Jake Lockley, the third personality. And I don't know. I want Frenchie. Frenchie? I, yeah, I don't know about Frenchie, so. Frenchie is his Alfred, his Commissioner Gordon, his... Mm, okay. He's a really cool, fun character. Yeah, I I am excited to see more. I do think that Ethan Hawke is kind of just dominating in general, I think. Yeah. Like he's, he seems like he's not a very complex character yet, but his acting is just so good that I've just kind of been raptured. Like I said, my favorite scene was just him talking with Steven about you know, everything. So I want Let's talk real quick about the cinematography in this one, because there's some really cool, crazy shots. It's like, holy shit, they're doing some different things like this doesn't feel like a standard movie like we're doing inverse shots we're doing some really cool creative stuff that kind of you know pops well they're also they're stealing mirror tricks from from things from like i literally Candyman came to mind with some of the stuff yeah. with mirrors so i mean i still can't really get a bead on where this is going i have you caught some of the music cues by the way i have not there was a music cue that I didn't catch. I read about later in uh, that when Steven is at the storage place, there's a song playing that apparently is called like Undead. And it's I don't know what band it's by, but it's a song about Bella Lugosi, which hmm. is a fun little thing, because I read in an interview saying that the uh, the people writing it, not only are they aware of the memes, especially the Dracula, where's my money, you nerd. But yeah. They actively tried to figure out how to put that meme in, but they couldn't figure out because there's no Dracula and they can't use the F word in the Disney Plus. So that meme isn't present, but they are aware of it and they tried to put it in. So this is basically yeah. their way of being like, here's a reference to Dracula that's very roundabout. Because I listened to an interview with the showrunner and he's like, I, I, I read a lot and I tried to get those in. It didn't really work. The thing that he said that made me super excited was he said the cool thing about Moon Knight is every time – he's introduced it's a new story like you mm. get to do whatever you want with the writer he's like as a yeah. you know writer that's really cool that i'm not tied to one story yeah and you're seeing that here it's like okay this is reference like i said i had the disconnect from this isn't the comic but the elements that i there's other elements i like and as soon as i was able to do them like okay i can get into this i'm really excited to see this one. i'm actually really curious like 
what what is this building to? Like, there for better or worse, there's kind of been a formula to these Marvel shows so far outside WandaVision. Uh, I wouldn't say that. I would say that they're all following different formulas because, like... Well, there's the whole, you have your main conflict, you have your main bad guy, and you reveal the suit in the final episode or second-to-last episode. Uh, okay, WandaVision and Captain Fal- Falcon and Winter Soldier did that. Hawkeye kind of did it, too. But Loki actually is the, the game-breaker then in that regard. So. Yeah, Loki kind of flipped it in, you know, you didn't really know who the true villain was till the end. But this one really, it kind of seems to be doing that whole Loki thing of, I don't know where this is going, and I like it. I will say, I did read a few writers before Moon Knight came out that were like, they better not do the thing of not having him be in the suit until the end. Well, they did at the end of episode one, so. <laughs> I, I was there, I was on it, like, oh, God damn it. If this is going to make me wait till the final to get the thing, like, no. And they've done both suits now. We've done the Moon Knight suit. We've done the Mr. Knight suit. I wouldn't be surprised. I doubt – I honestly, I doubt we'll see another personality know the suit. I think right now the emotional core seems to be about these two, and then Khonshu is essentially a third personality operating there as well. I, I, I'm hoping – like this is my prediction, hope against hope, of final episode's going to happen, get resolved. Mark and, you know, Steven will have been resolved. They'll be like, wait, who are you? Oh, I'm Jake. Who the hell are you? Who's Jake? And then that's where it'll end. Or some variation of we introduce a third personality. I, I bet you that will happen. That seems very likely. But I, I'm just saying that for the show proper, I don't think we're going to see another personality. But I totally wouldn't be surprised if we introduce another one at the very end. Like something, yeah. But that means that something big has to happen to fracture his mind a bit more. So Not necessarily. Jake could be kind of, you know, hanging out in the background. That's and true. he's doing his thing. That, that's because true. it all depends on what the origin of the personalities are. Is this a dissociative identity? Is this the result of having a god in your head? I'm still leaning towards it's actually another, not another personality even, but another entity. Because the way Conchu talks about it, I I know that, you know, Ethan uh, basically refers to him essentially as another personality and mind-breaking, but Conchu constantly calling him a parasite still makes me think that he's something that latched on to Mark, which means I think he's an external Thing. It could be, because I kind of feel like it's going one of two ways. Either they're trying to make us feel really sympathetic for, you know, Steven, so that we can get a twist somewhere, or that we're going to have, like, it's going to come down to conscious going to go, you need to, you know, kill this personality. I'm like, oh, but I really like Steven as a character. I don't want to see him go. It's true, because right now they are making, they're doing everything they can to make Steven likable and pitiable like the last scene of season or of episode two with him stuck in the the mine and stuck in the mirror essentially meanwhile they're doing everything possible to make mark very dislikable actually like as cool as he is in the suit we see very little of that most of him is him scowling saying like you know weird aggressive things and then basically crushing the mirror that has steven in it the character that we're supposed to like the most it seems so like that's Even the though, smart play, because Mark Spector is not a good or likable person. Like, yeah. he's a mercenary. He's done lots of bad things. That's and kind that's of why is, he has this whole redemption arc. That's why Moon Knight is this cool character. Is he is a bad man that now is protecting good people as kind of recompense for the bad things he did. Yeah, and even if we understand the situation Mark's in is shitty because Khonshu basically has him by, you know, by the testicles, it... It seems like the show is not letting him off the hook just because Khonshu has him trapped. 
So and it's and I love that they're not even making they're not making Khonshu out as a good is Khonshu is not a good god like Thor. Khonshu is kind of like you're just you kind of just abuse people, don't you? Well, also it seems like Khonshu has no it's little things, but Khonshu seems to have no concern for a greater picture of any kind. What he cares about is the immediate feeling of what he considers justice that's where you get lines like the break his windpipe do it so no and there's like the little things i really do like and i i'm curious i mean next episode we're in egypt that's going to be interesting yep and i'm really curious like i want to see how they're going to develop his powers like that's the other thing because right now we see basically speed endurance strength and he can chuck like moonerangs from his chest so yep well yeah like he always has like a weird combination of some of his tech he makes other bits are magical items and that little niche thing i don't know all right well i i have no other thoughts on episode two i mean i could go on but i think we'll save it for the, there's more episodes so <laughs> yeah no i think we said everything there is to say i'm looking forward to what comes next assuming we continue doing this which is the plan right now then catch us next week for episode three hey everyone axel right here with his co-host Lord Commander Ulrich. And we're here with episode three of Moon Knight. And, you know, Ulrich, I think at this point we can drop the whole spoiler thing up front. If you watch the first two and just watch the beginning, it's at this point you're in or you're out, so... Yeah, this it always these are a little echologue, our little show reviews, our little whatevers. I always feel weird doing a spoiler, or just general spoiler thing in general, because... If you're watching this, you shouldn't be watching for two minutes of a five to ten minute video. Yeah. So point is that going forward, we're I think we're just gonna get right into recap, kind of like we do with other series things. So before we get into talking about it, I'm just gonna say so. Episode three begins with uh, last time we left Moon Knight. Uh, Mark had taken over the body. He he was in Egypt. Uh, Arthur, I now have committed Ethan Hawke's character's name to memory, Arthur Harrow. He has the scarab that points him to Ahmed's tomb. Again, if you're not caught up with this, go, go either watch the three episodes of Moon Knight, or if you're one of those people that's like me, where sometimes you're interested in a show, but you're just in hearing people talk about it, go watch our previous two episodes. Anyway, so, Mark's in control of the body. He's in Cairo. Opening scene, though, is Layla, like, talking with some woman who, I don't know if she's supposed to be, like, her mom or aunt or just a friend of her dad or something, but she's helping her get a passport so she can go to Cairo, too. They talk about how her dad was an archaeologist and he did dig sites in Cairo, and she's got bad blood with some people in Cairo, because I guess she basically was an Indiana Jones character stealing from people who stole stuff. And then we cut to Mark, who's in Cairo doing crazy things, mostly fighting people, except that we have a scene where... He is stopped from killing a guy by Steven. Then it does the thing that's done in the previous episodes where he goes, and suddenly... uh, shifting of the personalities. Yeah, and we cut to a point in time later where Mark is holding a guy covered in blood that he just stabbed a bunch of times. And he's like, Steven, what did you do? And Steven's like, I didn't do... That wasn't me. And Mark's like, well, I didn't do this. So, which is important. We'll come back to that in a second. Uh, And then after that, to be perfectly honest... I started having a conversation with Ulrich like while I was watching this. It was a little hard Uh-oh. to pay attention. But the important stuff that was happening involves um, Layla showing up and finding him after he realizes that – after Mark realizes that he needs to find Amit's tomb through some sarcophagus of some guy named like Senfu that 
Conchu tells him about. She knows it connects him, so she takes him to this rich guy's house who happens to have Senfu sarcophagus. Uh, the Mark is talking to Stephen, who's actually an Egypt expert, trying to figure out how to use the you know break the puzzle of the sarcophagus. But the rich guy is like something's wrong. Then Harrow shows up and he's like, "Hey, rich guy, who likes Egypt stuff? What if I showed you actual god stuff?" And he's like, "Yeah, show me actual god stuff." And then boom, Moon Knight comes out and does big fight scene. He he gets stabbed a bunch of times by spears. Also, uh, Mister Knight, or I should say, Stephen Moon Knight shows up for just a scene to be like, "Hey, time out!" And then he then he gets stabbed. And he's like, "All right, you take over again, Mark." Which that was a great scene. It's like, nope, nope, nope. I'm out. This is not my. Uh... <laughs> Exactly. Back to you, Mark. And we have Layla continuing to basically just be Indiana Jones as she fights this big dude and she wins by eventually taking apart the gold necklace thing she has. It actually turns out to be like two blades, which is a really cool little mm-hmm. moment. And, oh, there's also a moment where, like, Khonshu, I think before this or after this, I don't remember the order of events, but Khonshu creates an eclipse in order to summon all the Egyptian gods, the Indiana. Okay, well, he creates an eclipse to summon all the Ennead, all the avatars of the other Egyptian gods. They all exist, so, you know, big mythology dump. They basically have a trial where Khonshu accuses Arthur, who it's unclear if the rest of the Ennead recognizes Arthur as Amit's avatar or not. It seems I like they don't. They, I think they do, but they're like, yeah, but he's not doing anything. He's just, you know... Yeah. Point is that Avatar, which there's nothing against that. Meanwhile, you are breaking our covenant of not showing the fuck off. Well, it's really weird in this instance because they they recognize that trying to release Ahmet is a bad thing because they make the comment of that is a grave accusation, but they refuse to. Sorry, I've seen dumb gods before, but these gods seem like proper gits. So yeah, just hold on. But the problem I think is we'll come back to this real quick. Khonshu shows up with nothing but an accusation. Like, there's no proof. Like, he's just saying, he's doing it. It's like me saying, Axel is, I don't want to say anything too inflammatory on the internet. And then they go, well, what proof do you have that he's doing it? And you're like, I'm not doing it. I'm like, yes, you are. Well, what yeah, proof I, is there? So I there's, get that. But there's also a line, there's also a level of, okay, we know who Khonshu is. And while he is kind of, you know, out there, his main crime has been revealing himself, not lying. Well, uh, and and second of all... Go ahead. Oh, and second of all, if the accusation is such a big deal, and especially if they know that Arthur is Amit's uh, avatar, then just writing it off as no is so dumb. At the very least, it, it merits a follow-up. Send your so, avatars to be like, what are you What are you doing, Arthur? So Yeah, but he kind of deflects that by, uh, this is all just crazy talk because Khonshu's latest avatar is a broken man. Yeah, it, it seemed. I get that. It just seemed like man, uh, someone described it. Gods, but, someone described it perfectly as uh, dealing with cops. In oh, that, geez. in that uh, Arthur is using the very you know disarming cop speech of I haven't technically done anything wrong. Meanwhile, look at this guy over here. Look at the crazy stuff he's doing. Do you really think I'm doing anything wrong? Anyway, so they. I, uh, <laughs> Yeah, we'll get back to that in a second. But they uh, they threaten Conch. The gods threaten Conch and are like, if you do some shit like making an eclipse again, we're going to trap you in a stone statue. And uh, they mean it because later on at the end of the episode after the big fight, they're like, all right, we have the – Stephen comes out and figures out how to assemble this map essentially that, that came from the sarcophagus made of cloth. And he's like, all right, it's a map of the stars, but the stars have changed in 2,000 years, so this map is meaningless. And Conchie's like, I know what the night sky was like 2,000 years ago. I remember all the nights, which was such a great line. 
Yeah, true. That was actually a really great night, uh, really great line. The point is, he infuses his power into Steven, because Steven's in control at the time. Steven takes on the Moon Knight suit, and then him and Steven together rewind the night sky 2,000 years. Holy shit. It's a really cool... It's one of those moments that's like, that's a power that serves very little practical purpose, but is so visually and conceptually awesome that I don't care. It feels godlike, which had me go, which made me feel like, hey, uh, Thor, what do you do again? True, it does feel like a legit god move to do something like that. It shows a full, he is a master of the, the night sky. Mm-hmm. But it causes the other gods to, without questioning him or why he's doing it or anything, to just immediately, from where they are, away to trap him in a stone statue. And then they bring Arthur in to gloat about it. Like, well, they seem like they're sad about it, and they don't even know if he can... There's a line where, the, where Arthur's like, can he hear us? And they go, we think so. Meaning that the... Sorry, everything that came out of... I think that was supposed to be, like, Osiris or something, but everything that came out of his it's mouth... Osiris or Ra? It's point is... Which... Yeah, point is, everything he said made me want to strangle him. I thought it might be Osiris because there's a trial and Osiris is the judge, but it could be Oh, wrong. that's true. I don't know. It depends on which interpretation of the pantheon they're going with. Yeah, they didn't specify which avatar was which god except for the one who was um, the goddess of music, but I don't remember her name. But anyway, Conchu Con- gets trapped in stone. They managed to get pictures of the night sky 2,000 years ago. End of episode. All right, that took me longer to recap than I thought, but there was actually quite a bit going on. There's so much good, and as a Moon Knight fan, I have so many theories I'm not going to share, because there's a great line where Arthur accuses, you know, uh, Mark of, you don't want her to know the truth because you're afraid it'll make her hate you. Oh, true. It seems to me, as someone who knows literally nothing, and I don't expect Ulrich to respond to this, it seems like they're hinting heavily that Mark killed Layla's dad. Um, what circumstances? I don't know, but that seems to be what's going on in the, the implication. Again, I'm piecing pieces together because I'm 90% sure that Layla is Mar is Marlene, who is, you know, Moon Knight's romantic paramour in the comics. But she got a serious upgrade from the comics to this. Uh, considering she's now Indiana Jones? Yeah. I don't know what uh, her in, in the comics, comics but... She's, I, she serves as Mark's love interest and motivator, and sometimes she hates him and sometimes she loves him, and it's not very interesting. But uh, important key points, first off, I will say that I was definitely wrong, and my prediction from last week was proven wrong this week, and we have the introduction of the third personality. We don't know who it is, it's probably whatever this show's version of Mr. Knight is, actual Mr. Knight, based on the brutality of the stabbing that he Yeah, did. I'm think I'm I'm really, really, really hoping like when that happened, I'm like, oh my God, is that Steve is that as uh Jake Lockley? Don't we don't know, but point is that I said last week we probably wouldn't get another personality and boom I was wrong this week, so also, we now. seem to get confirmation that the personalities predate Konshu. I feel like, like I remember that line, but what was it? There, there was a line about it. It was, uh, Khonshu chose this vessel because he was broke. It was some line. Taking advantage of this man. Like he yeah, took advantage taking of advantage of this broken man. Yeah, something like that. Arthur because at least accuses. to resist him. Now, to be fair, Arthur is, from what we know, he's conjecturing because he doesn't know mm-hmm. how Arthur's got the condition. That, or, sorry, he doesn't know how Mark got into the condition he's in. But yeah. 
Although we do see that Mark has a line, more importantly, because Mark is our, if not trustworthy, he's more trustworthy than Arthur. But he has a line that he says to Layla where he says, I used to have it under control. Yeah, that was the other one. Like, she didn't know he had uh, DID, which that also kind of made me think, like, okay, this is something that existed before. And I was thinking about it, and I feel like this is using the personalities in an interesting way that we don't see very often in that the personalities are not really aware. They know they exist, but they aren't aware of what the, it's not like they aren't aware of what the other one is doing while they're doing it. Well, to a degree, yeah, Steve and Mark have now gotten close enough that they can wall, wall fly each other pretty well. Yeah. So. But as I understand it, if you do have uh DID, you, it's not like you're sitting there passenger side to what the other personality is doing. It's just like you're kind of off in another room. It, and, from my understanding, it depends. I have interacted with a number of people with DID who've tried to educate me on it, and it is, it's a complex thing. Yeah, and I will say that it's, it's doing it in an interesting way, and I feel like they, the personalities feel like different characters. Yeah, well, obviously, Mark and Steven feel completely different, and it's great. There's a little moment where when Steven takes over, and Layla just says, like, Steven, and he, like, just looks up, and he just kind of smiles a bit. And then he says something in his accent, but the idea is that it was obvious it was Steven before he spoke. So, And it's it's awesome. we got to give credit to all the acting going on. Well, yeah, Oscar Isaacs is great. He is fucking knocking it out of the park. I read I read an article after I watched the episode. I went and just read a review to see, like, what someone said about it. And someone pointed out, um, can we make Oscar Isaac jumping a thing, just in general, just have him jump places? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but also I don't want to you know pass over that uh, Stephen. Oh no, who's playing Arthur Harrow? I play, I had a Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke. There it is. Is also doing this really kind of sinister, great villain one. Well, honestly, this was the episode where he most felt like a villain. Like going wrong, he was definitely a villain in the previous two episodes. But the previous two episodes were all about him as like the hand. Whereas yeah. this episode felt like him as the rod, if that makes any sense. Like, there was nothing but sinister manipulation on display in this one, particularly it, to harm Mark. So. And it works well, but it works well because kind of like some of the best villains, like Kingpin, like early Loki, he 100% feels like I'm doing what is right and you opposing me are wrong. Yeah, he definitely has conviction in what he believes. But, the, I mean, the best line from him, he gets the last scene of the... Like you know, the the real last scene where he's talking to the Conchu statue because he think he's told that maybe Conchu can hear him and he says something like, "Remember when all this is done, your torment is what forged me. You're the reason. You're the cause of my victory." Mm-hmm. Which also I love that because this is kind of an interesting one. It kind of comes from the comics in that the other Egyptian gods were just kind of like, "Well, I guess humanity's done with us. That's okay." And Khonshu was very much like, the fuck we are. I'm a god, goddammit. Yeah. It, and they, they say that the Avatar's purpose is to observe. And they exist in something called the Overvoid, I guess. Which is where they all, all those gods live, except for Khonshu. So. Yeah, it's its own weird thing. I don't know. I'm like, we're getting other gods. I'm not sure how I feel about this trend in the MCU of godlike beings that just exist to watch. Uh, I mean, to be fair, that's an old trend in... Marvel in general. It is, but I feel like we're kind of, we're 
introducing too many at once almost. Yeah. Like we've got the Watcher, we've got the Eternals, now we've got the Egyptian gods. We're gonna have the Greek gods in Ragnarok. Okay, well hold on. Honestly about that, the Eternals and the Celestials are not just Watchers. They have very specific jobs. Now the Watcher is definitely a Watcher, and now we've yeah. got the Ennead is apparently Watchers. It's really only those two. Yeah, but I don't know, it's just a little bit at once, but it's okay. Uh, a couple things I did want to talk about is I kind of wanted to see what some of the negative criticisms are. Well, hold on, and before I get to that, one last thing I'll say, the uh, the usage of the cape justifies the existence yes. of the cape in this episode. Yes. It's a simple thing, like he jumps down off a tall thing to kick someone, and as he jumps, his cape takes the perfect shape of a crescent moon. Mm-hmm. It's just a small moment, but it looks great. But then he physically uses it, it blocks a bunch of bullets, and then he just unfurls it and shoots all the bullets back at the shooters. It's really cool. Yeah, I have some questions about this cut suit, because it's bulletproof, but not spear, but it has a minor healing factor. Apparently a pretty strong one. Uh, Conchu mentions it's, you know, healing armor, so... It is interesting that Moon Knight, on his own, in the armor, wasn't really able... I mean, he was able to take everyone there, but it seems like he did let himself get stabbed by, like, six spears. So, yeah. <laughs> again, you said, you said last episode that Moon Knight in the comics has a tendency to not dodge things and just yeah. get hit. So that, That's his fighting style, is to take it on the chin, which, I don't know, that kind of worked here. I don't know, I have questions about how the armor works. Let's see, for negatives, like I said, I'm... I think it's supposed to be on purpose, but the level of the gods' indifference and agitation and not intelligence <laughs> frustrated me to a, yeah. a very high degree. Um, I mean, I honestly don't have many other negatives, not things that really bothered I, me. It's no, a little exposition heavy, but... Uh, I'm okay with it. Yeah, um, I, I'm fine with that. I, I can see someone complaining about it, but let me put this way. The, the least interesting exposition right now is the mythology world building stuff. The more interesting stuff is just like Mark talking with Layla or Harrow talking to the statue. Just kind of character beats are more interesting. Yeah. No, the only negative I've heard, and this isn't one I have, this is kind of one that's being murmured at in the corners, is there's not enough Moon Knight in the Moon Knight show. Uh, So far there's more Moon Knight in this show than there was like you know, Hawkeye in, in his show or, you know, Falcon in his show. I, I, don't, I don't get that. The I complaint guess. is the action stuff, like him in the costume punching people up. But honestly, as a comic reader, that's not – the majority of the comics aren't really Moon Knight punching people up as much as it is you're trying to figure out what the hell is going on in this story. But also and we've gotten at least one solid Moon Knight action piece of varying lengths in each episode. Really good ones. No, I just mean, in each episode, oh, we've gotten yeah. at least one, like, good showing for the suit. So. Yeah, no, I, I don't agree with it, but this is, like, one of the minor things. And I feel like it's building up to something, but we're getting to see him kick ass. We're kind of getting a sense of his powers. And I feel like each time we see him, we get a little bit more information on how he fights and how the suit works. Yeah, true. So, I don't know, lots of really, really cool stuff happening. Oh, Again, the, so the moment. Theories, but I'm not going to share any. Yeah, the moment in the middle of a fight when Steven takes over, the suit instantly transforms into Steven's version of the suit, and then instantly transforms back when Mark takes over. It's a great little Which bit. makes me wonder, what does Jake's suit look like? Assuming that's Jake. It probably is, based on you know what I read, but still, just saying. Yeah. No, if that is his, I wonder if they're going to do his more traditional... Oh, I wonder if it's going to be his more... Uh, it's his black and white one that looks more like body armor. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. 
Um, I'm trying to. Oh, one fun fact I did find out: it was Ethan Hawke's uh, improvisation to do the glass in the shoes. Hmm. I mean, and, it makes sense. He's a he's a man who feels penitent, and he literally one of his great moments is he admits that he his greatest sin is that he enjoyed inflicting pain in Conchu's name, and he feels like he's probably still feels penitent about that. So. Yeah, and no, like the, the, the tinkling of the glass set me on edge the entire episode. Because you could hear it when he was just walking around in the temple. It's like, oh, that's just disturbing. But also that line makes perfect sense because Khonshu isn't about punishing, he's about protecting. So I yeah. thought that was a great little kind of, you know, this is why you were rejected as Avatar. Is you don't get what my deal is. Yes, but at the same time, we've seen enough of Khonshu that I think there's probably very much merit to what Harrow says when he says oh, yeah. that Khonshu was the one who tormented him and broke him. Khonshu's a Dick. Like I said, I love that Khonshu's attitude in this kind of matches his comics of, I'm a god, goddammit, and I will be respected. Yeah, seems and, like he says that even towards the other gods, even though he knows yes. they don't respect him. So. Well, he's a very old school god of, I want human sacrifices, and I want fear. Yeah, when, especially when he talks through Mark's body, it's got to be yelling and That was profound. so perfect. Yeah. He can't just talk quietly, no. It was like, it felt a bit weird at first, but like, no, this is a god projecting his rage and anger. Anyway, I have no more. If I'm going to do, I I would do predictions, but my prediction last week was instantly proven wrong in like the second scene this week. So now we've got a situation going forward where Mark and Steven and unknown third personality, it's probably Jake, don't probably have access to the Moon Knight suit anymore because Conchu is trapped in stone. Which means we have to free Kanchu, which means we have to go into the Great Pyramid of Giza. Uh, that's probably what's going to happen, if not next episode, episode after. Yeah, and I'm I'm waiting for that other shoe to drop in the hole. We're inching closer to the origin of Moon Knight. Oh. If it is what I think it is, I'm so excited for it. Also, we didn't mention it, but Harrow basically found Abed's tomb and they're digging for it now. They just know it's yeah. below where they are. So. All right, okay. well. That's it. Till next week. Catch us next time. Hey, everyone. Axel right here with co-host. Lord Commander Ulrich. And we're here continuing in our Echo Log series, essentially, uh, reviewing of Moon Knight. And today we're joined by an illustrious guest. Hello, Moonvog here. I found my way back out of the fridge. <laughs> I don't know how you keep escaping, but... Uh... <laughs> Next time's not the last time. Well, normally we only bring Woonvog out for cartoon conversations, but as Woonvog's been the person I've been watching Moon Knight with, it makes sense to to have them speak with us. So That's how he keeps getting out. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, I don't remember exactly which one of us. I think I did the recap last time, but Ulrich, why don't you give us a recap this time? All right, we're going to do a special Ulrich brand recap, because I'm assuming you've watched it and you don't need a blow-by-blow. Um, not because it's been a week since I've watched this. Um... This is the Mummy episode, both literally and figuratively, in that Mark and Layla were exploring the temple to try and find the... Avatar uh, Vomit. There it is. I was trying to think what the god's name was. And it happens to be in Alexander the Great. More on that later, because I have thoughts. (laughs) Um... And then in the end, Mark gets killed, and we get the most Moon Knighty Moon Knight Moon Knight that this show has done yet, and I love every second of it, including a friendly hippo orderly at the end. As far as things that Ulrich is glossing over that are worth mentioning, we have confirmation from Arthur Harrow that Mark 
was present when Layla's dad was killed, but he didn't actually. Oh, that did happen. Yeah, we've got that. We've also got really creepy mummified sorcerer people going around and and murdering people by gutting them. I said mummies. I said both in the figurative and literal sense. Yeah, but it's <laughs> the mummy doesn't quite convey what's going on here because I did I did say out loud and Wundva can confirm this uh, at a point when Layla was crossing this crazy chasm. I was like, we got really the mummy here right now. So a lot of people have made that joke that if this show gets any more mummy, Brendan Fraser's going to pop up. I wouldn't actually be surprised at this point. I'd be dead. I'm honestly waiting for that cameo. Yeah, but my point is that what's going on with these mummies felt a lot more straight horror than the mummy. Oh, yeah. No, uh, we'll talk about this later, but this was my first real insight into, okay, I know what Moon Knight is in the MCU now. Mm, We can get in that now, because I'm curious what you mean. I think Moon Knight, I think Marvel is building to, as much as they build anything, a Supernatural Avengers with Moon Knight and Blade and Black Knight and Ghost Rider, and they're kind of filling in the Supernatural ghosts and monsters angle. No, like a, the Dark Avengers? Isn't that what that's yes. called? Yes. And this was the test format to kind of play around with, okay, how much horror can we get like? And I kind of wonder if Doctor Strange is also going to bridge that gap, because originally Multiverse of Madness was supposed to be the first quote-unquote horror movie of the MCU, and then that got, they changed directors because creative differences, which to me says that was too dark for what Marvel wanted. Mm. Well, we'll see here pretty soon. But, uh, yeah, no, the mummies, like practical mummies and everything like this, felt like, oh, this is about as horror-centric as I think Marvel's comfortable getting. Mm. And oh. also, this works for Moon Knight. He's fighting mummies. Okay, cool. Another important point that uh, we need to mention is that the opening scene of the episode involves... I'm guessing it's supposed to be Ra's avatar putting Osiris's. Osiris. Oh, he's the judge. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> anyway, but Osiris's avatar putting the statue of Khonshu on a wall where there's a bunch of other statues. So we know that a bunch of the gods have been turned into statues. Also, we find that um, Amit is trapped in a statue as well that was inside the Alexander the Great's mummy body, and so yeah. now that's been retrieved. Which makes me think even more so that the Egyptian gods, in this case, are assholes with that line of, like, so, we have no idea what it's like being in the statue. <laughs> yeah, there was a theory that was brought up by uh, one of our patrons, Arthur Crane, who wonders if that uh, Harrow and Amit have kind of been sidelining any of the gods that could possibly get in their way for a while now, and that's where there's that wall. Oh, I didn't even thought of that. I just thought that... Uh, that the council were a-holes, so... That could be, too, but, like, uh, that shot wasn't for nothing. Fair enough. And I'll say, like, uh, being a minor, like, mythology buff, this episode going sideways was super exciting, and I'm here for it, especially because two major things that I caught in, uh, you know, a light wikiing would uh, explain some of this, too, so it's not going to be anything mind-boggling, but I really like it, is we see uh, in the finale when shit goes weird, uh, Mark in what seems to be a uh, a mental institution. <clears throat> Which is funny because we talked before about how in the comics, Moon Knight, apparently there's a lot of, like, is what he's experiencing real or not? And me and Ulrich were pretty sure that they weren't going to touch on that. And it looks like they still are pretty hard on the 
you know, what's experiencing is real. But there's that moment here when he first wakes up in the asylum, like, what is going on? <laughs> yes, and in, in true, in true, uh, is it, is it real or is it the fa- uh, facsimile of a broken man set up? Uh, it seems to be in a mental institution. You can see almost all the people that in the shot are from the past episodes as other characters. And there's also things on the walls and whatnot that have a real Kaiser Soze thing going on. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. And the biggest one being Harrow is the doctor who is trying to rehabilitate him. Yeah, but I believe the point that Woodvogs, and I'll still give you the your thing to bring up, mm-hmm. but we know that this isn't quote unquote reality, and that what we've seen is not reality. When uh, after escaping the doctor, Mark finds a room with a, a sarcophagus in it that has Stephen trapped in it, and so we have Stephen and Mark together. So we're like, okay, something else is going on here than like a reality psychotic break kind of thing, and then. The big thing for uh, what you guys have talked about previously as well, they see a third sarcophagus that is also shaking around. With uh, chains on it. Yes. Heavily implying that this is the third personality. Uh, But a big thing for Egyptian mythology is that sarcophagus was covered in red, which in lore, the color red is uh, connected to danger, chaos, and death because the red sands of the Egyptian desert were unhospitable, where the black sands near the Nile were fertile and life-giving. And this is also, I think, interesting because then I know the second point that Wunvog brought up to me last night has to do with the nice hippo lady who is very obviously an Egyptian god. I didn't know anything about her, so... (laughs) And I'm so excited about it because... That is the Egyptian goddess of childbirth and fertility, Tawaret. Uh, yeah, she's a giant, super kind hippo lady uh, who is known to uh, protect women and child and child through pregnancy, uh, but also be the one who f- regularly floods the Nile to return nourishment to the earth. And she also, if what Woundvar told me last night is correct, has a particular relationship with Ra, where she, like, helps him through his daily life cycle, which gets me wondering if they're going to do something with Ra and the red sarcophagus and maybe that being connected somehow. And I don't know where they might go with that, but, you know, just gives me thoughts. Yeah, so two other major things with that are uh, if if that is where they're going with this, and seeing Mark and Stephen together, this could be how they're experiencing the afterlife of some sort. Uh, I mean, considering the last thing that happens before they end up in the mental asylum is getting shot by Harrow, that seems like a pretty good assumption. Yeah. And yeah. tying in tying in the other gods as well, another big thing is red is the color of the god of chaos from Egyptian Set. I didn't know that. Yes. We're getting all sorts of good stuff. Yeah. No, the only thing uh, I noticed was, like, the minute he showed up in the side, I'm like, all right, cool, we're doing the is it all in his head stuff. And then it's went on, it's like, wait a second, I know which comic they're referencing. I have that in my collection. That's uh, Lemire's run, which is really trippy, psychedelic, Moon Knight versus Khonshu, is he crazy, 
is he not crazy werewolves on the moon insanity and i love it and it's a great feed well also there's an interesting thing going on there where the way that harrow as the doctor talks to him it's not clear if the doctor is putting on a facade of the real world or if he is completely aware of the actual reality nature of the reality they're in because he talks about it being a psychic world not a material world but he also talks about like having a dog so yeah i don't know where any of this is going but i love it because this feels very much like a moon knight comic because the minute he got shot and fell backwards and the minute where we're in the uh mentalist i'm like ooh, we're going to you know play with this a little bit and i think i was wondering like how are people going to take this because this is a really weird out there departure and it seems everyone loved it but is also like what the hell is going on it reminds me of lost and I mean that in a good way in this regard. Yeah, my first thought at the end of the, of the episode is things are going sideways and I am here for it. Oh, another important thing that's easily lost in the midst of all the crazy supernaturally stuff is that Stephen is very obviously falling in love with Layla and mm-hmm. Mark, in a hilarious scene, uh, threatens him. And he's like, I will throw us off a cliff. And then Stephen kisses Layla, to which Mark starts being able to take over little bits of the the, the body to, you know, punch Stephen in the face, throw yep. him down like a 10-foot drop. So, Yep, no, that was great. Uh, circling back to the Layla, Mark, and it all, I knew this reveal was coming. Did you guys know as non-Moon Knight fans? I mean, it seemed pretty obvious from the last episode that that's what was... I think I said it in the last um, last review we did that it was heavily implying that Mark uh, either killed her dad or was closely related to it. So that didn't seem like a big surprise to me. Yeah, no, that's Moon Knight stuff. That's where Mark Spector dies in the comics. That's where a lot of this comes from. And I was like, okay, cool. We're getting there. Uh, the I didn't other thing I'm expect I didn't expect that to be the event where he died, although I feel like in hindsight I should have expected it. Like, I feel like the show laid the seeds for that pretty obviously. We will see if they follow through with that one, but in the comics, that's where he dies. Um, The thing, like, this is where I start doing my deep Moon Knight speculation is he talks about it was my partner that, you know, killed him. It's like, ooh, who could your partner be? Is he going to be the comic version, or are we going to go even deeper cut and make him... uh, I don't know his actual name. I just know his superhero name, uh, Werewolf by Night. Uh, see, my first thought was, I don't know anything about Bushmaster, but I know you mentioned him in our first review. And yeah. I was like, is Bushmaster gonna... is the guy that, you know, in the comic did it, but <sighs> he's not really an interesting villain. And they've already, uh, Werewolf by Night is where Moon Knight first showed up. He was Moon Knight's first antagonist. And I think he has some Disney project going. But that would require a total retooling of a character because he was a good guy. Well, it does seem like, and I, I feel bad making, not bad, I feel uh, on the wrong foot making predictions now since Moon Knight as a show has already circumvented my predictions several times in really interesting ways. But if I were to make a prediction based on other Disney Marvel properties, I bet that whoever his partner is will not feature prominently in this season of the show. No, but this is be, a future down the road. Yeah, but will probably be, like, shown at the end or named at the end or some it sort of singer. Could be. I've been trying to, like, rack my brains, like, okay, who's a mercenary villain in Marvel that could slot in here? Well, honestly, if, if I was going to take my Hail Mary thought on it, 
my my initial reaction was they haven't said it's had the partner's name yet. What if it's the third personality? Oh fuck, that'd be good. That, that would, would be, be a great reveal. That would be really interesting, actually. I don't. That would create a whole new level of mental anguish for Mark. That would, and that's why he's locked away. That could be interesting. Although, I mean, I get the impression, I get the impression that that personality is not locked away for being greedy, but for being bloodthirsty and dangerous. Well, again, because the idea of uh, the idea of the red is it's not it's not evil inherently; it's dangerous. But we also have the impression that Mark doesn't know about the third personality from the last episode. So as cool as that is, I think that's highly unlikely. Mm -hmm. Maybe. I don't know. See, there's another theory that's going around that I kind of agree with is that um, Stephen represents all that is good in Mark. Yeah. Like his kind of kindness, his interest, his, you know, general. And whereas the other personality, which I'm still going to say is Jake Lockley, represents all that is bad in Mark. Mm -hmm. Probably. Well, and I was I was talking uh, last night too. My thought is like you know obviously with the reference uh, the multiple personalities being similar to like the phases of the moon. Yep. Uh, Mark is crescent moon, being like mostly in the know, but uh, but still kind of fighting Conchu in the setup. Uh, Stephen is the new moon, completely in the dark on things, but the third personality being the full moon knowing exactly what's going on and being completely willing to do what needs to be done, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty strong, uh, a strong hypothesis. Yeah. I don't know. This also, I think this is the best episode so far, like just overall in the directing, in the effects, just, it was that whole where Layla's getting pulled out of the dark, trying to escape the mummy, and getting pulled back in mm-hmm. and the finger scene where the mummy's climbing around, like, Oh, this is just, atmospheric as fuck. I love it. Well, the mummies were so good because, like, they make that little clicking sound that... Uh Uh-huh. And they're literally mummifying people while they're still kind of alive. Oh. Yeah, Yeah, that was awesome. Like, okay, this this feels like this is what Marvel wants to do and call horror. It's unsettling enough, but you can still watch it with your kids. Yeah, I also wonder how... um... How true Stephen's description of the Eye of Horus is, because I never heard that before about the Eye of Horus being six points of senses, but it's a really cool idea and I really like it. Oh yeah, let's talk about Alexander the Great being the avatar of Ahmet. Well, hold on, real quick before that, I do want to say though, there's a moment that for me I literally said that's a stretch where they're like, all right, we got to figure out which way to go. Here are the the eye of Horus represents all these senses, and this represents the tongue. Well, the avatar of Amit was the voice of Amit, so the tongue is the right path. It just felt very like, whoa, okay, this felt pretty Scooby Doo ish. But uh, <laughs> that was my only like point like that in the whole episode. So, but yes, anyway, Alexander the Great. I admit I am not as much of a buff on this Skandar as uh you know as I could be. But I had never heard of him calling himself Egyptian, which seems to be what Stephen is saying, that while the writing is Macedonian, Alexander the Great himself referred to himself as Egyptian, and that's why he's... I, I, have, heard of him, I have heard of him as a pharaoh before. Yes, he was a pharaoh. He declared himself pharaoh. And he had the smart conqueror's idea. He took on the culture of wherever he was ruling. Mm-hmm. 
like that was kind of it caused him a bit of trouble is, you know, his soldiers like, no, we're Macedonians. He's like, today we're in Babylon. Today we're Babylonian. Today we're in Egypt. Today we're Egyptian. So he was very smart of adopting the culture of where he was. I do like the implication that it was the uh, being the avatar of Ahmet, a god of destruction and retribution is probably what allowed him to do a swath of destruction across the area he, he did. did. It also, that's kind of like, it doesn't fit him. He's not Genghis Khan. He wasn't destroying shit. But it also creates an interesting thing where it's like, this is the explanation of why he died early and suddenly stopped. Was not that you know, he was poisoned or anything, but that the other gods were like, alright, you stop now. <laughs> that I do buy. It's like, okay, he was the one that they were, they said Ahmet's getting out of control. But I just, I I can't see Alexander the Great as a genocidal dictator. Well, that's, I think that's the thing, too, because think of him more as Harrow right now, is he's trying to bring, he's he was bringing the world together under a unified peace. Yeah, I was about to say, nothing indicates that being Ahmed's voice made him a genocidal dictator, but it does indicate that he had, you know, a powerful vengeance, like, god, in his corner, and that that was probably contributing that, to his... That fits, because he believed he was the son of Zeus. Like, he told everyone who asked, like, no, no, my father is Zeus, that's why I'm such a badass. Yeah, but in this case, it would be, he's literally empowered by Ahmet, the Egyptian god who consumes souls. So. <laughs> like, I, it was a minor thing, it was like, I'll let you go with it, but just so you know, as a history person, I, I am not... 100% on board with this depiction, but whatever, I, it's cool. Well, I, I love the grossness of having to stick your hand down the throat and mark like, yeah, deeper, just reach in there. I do feel like, because Alexander the Great has this thing in Western culture where we see him as Greek primarily, because I think of where Macedonia's original location was, essentially. But as you just put it, considering how far he traveled and how he kind of adapted as he went... I think it might be one of those uh, Eurocentric historical problematic views that causes us to see him that way. And I totally would be open to a historian more than no uh, bitch slapping me and being like, actually, it's perfectly reasonable that he might have been buried like a pharaoh. So. Yeah, that one, honestly, I'm like, maybe. I mean, I can see him getting behind the idea of, and I can take all my crap and then go be a god in the next realm. Yeah, that that tracks. Yeah, so it it did give me a little pause at first, I think for the same reasons it gave you pause, but upon thinking about it, I was like, all right, how much of this is my own Eurocentrism getting in the way of my brain here? So try to fight that. (laughs) I also recognize you need a big, powerful name that everyone's going to recognize. And when you have the epithet The Great, you're pretty damn recognizable to layman. I mean, yeah, everyone knows Alexander the Great. Like that's just I, I like I said, when you get the epithet the Great, people kind of know you. Kind of. There are plenty of the Greats who are not well known. Like I had no idea who Franklin the Great was until Epic Raphaels of History brought him up, and I had to go look him up. So, yeah. well, Alexander is also one that had the uh, fling with Cleopatra, right? No, no, that's Julius Caesar. Very different time periods. <gasps> Though Cleopatra is technically connected to Alexander because she's descended from one of his generals. Yeah, but Alexander is much, uh, much previous in history to Cleopatra. So, what is Alexander's time period? I don't remember exactly. Do you know? Or? Oh, dates are not my speciality, but he, the Macedonian Empire is pre-Roman Republic. Yeah, so like that's they're still in their infancy. It's quite old. Whereas Cleopatra was like at the 
near the end of the Roman Empire, whereas it was actually a Roman Empire. So. She technically falls. She's Empire or pre. Or she's Republic to Empire because it transitions with Caesar. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Alexander's lifespan went from 350 to 320 BC. And so there you go. So yeah, I used the wrong term there. I meant to say Cleopatra is at the end of the Roman Republic, the beginning of the Roman Empire. So, because Julius the, Caesar has it. Yep, end of the Ptolemaic regime. Anyway, we're going way into the we, the reads here about the usage of a single historical figure, <laughs> but he happens to be a very big historical figure, and his usage here was odd at first, so I wanted to make sure we get that out of the way. <laughs> I do think uh, that the whole having to reach into his throat to pull out the statue, uh, I, I made a mention, I was like, well, at the very least, it'd be dry, because that's a 2,000 and some year old mummy, so it would just be gross from concept. But he looks gooey still, like, he's very well preserved. I don't know how, like, you're right, there wouldn't be a lot of moisture because of how mummification works, but it would still, I don't know. I don't want to go sticking my hand. Like I, said, I just love Mark's urging him on, like, man, you are not the one that has to do this. Yeah, it's true. I also like the fact that we have this instance of, the personalities, as Mark said, whoever's in the body is stronger, but that doesn't mean that whoever is trapped can't, under certain very specific circumstances, exert control, as we see Mark does it three times here. Once to take control of a fist, once to take control of the legs, and then when Layla is like, you know, did you kill my father? Mark's like, all right, now I need to take the body, and so he takes, he forcibly takes it, essentially. So let's talk about that real quick. Would we have preferred, because they've kind of set Mark up as a mercenary, as a killer, should he also have been the killer of Layla's father? Or are we just trying to roll back like, he's a bad guy, but he's not that bad? Uh, okay, here's the thing about that. One, the, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the best part of that show, as far as I was concerned, was Winter Soldier dealing with his guilt and mm-hmm. his and what he was trying to go through, and particularly just trying to talk with that old man about how he killed his son. I feel like Mark is a very different character from Winter Soldier, and so far there's no evidence that that Moon Knight actually takes place in the MCU, funny enough. But but my my point is that I feel like we don't need Mark to be the same deal. So I think it was totally unnecessary to have him be directly the one who kills Layla's dad. Having him be there, be involved in it, I think it's perfectly reasonable and it works for what we're trying to do. Yeah. Cause there's a legit criticism that I agree with in that Marvel specifically the MCU never lets their, there's no, there's not a lot of grayness to their characters in terms of heroes. I mean, I literally it's, just brought up winter soldier who I feel like is the counter winter soldier. Is, winter soldier is a good counter, but it's kind of like the counter argument is, you know, Scarlet, Witch. Like they, oh, Charlotte's a good example, yeah. <laughs> like, no, she's doing some legit bad stuff, and they're trying to backpedal away. It's like, no, let your characters be a little bit darker. It's okay. And Wait, I kind of indicates. I mean, we haven't seen mentions of, or the multiverse of madness yet, but everything indicates that she's going to be like, if not the primary villain, like a villain at the very least, a foil. She, doesn't yeah. have to be a villain, but we you gotta own what she did in uh, the. WandaVision was not the actions of a good person. Yeah. Just like here, you need to own the fact that he was a mercenary. He killed people for money. Mercenaries typically do not do good things, which is why Moon Knight is such a cool kind of character, is he's kind of paying penance for being and doing all this harm, is he's enslaved to a god to now do good. That's the fun dichotomy of Moon Knight. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, also he's enslaved to a dick god, but <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I oh. kind of, I kind of hope they keep that, and I kind of hope they address this. Like, yeah, you made the devil's bargain here. One more side note that I really want to put in: there's a moment where Layla goes in to kiss Stephen, and Stephen's like, "The reason why Mark's pushing you away is because Conchu wants you as next Avatar." So he does the whole the kind of cliche: "I'm going to come up with the honest but hard to say thing." to stop you from making a, a decision that you might not want to make once you know this, which I was fine with, but I was like, okay, now that you've done that, and she literally just said, I want honesty, not protection, kiss her. And then he does. <laughs> I was like, oh, I can't believe the show did the thing that no, most shows wouldn't actually do and that I wanted to happen. Awesome. <laughs> so. Also, a real quick thing I want to talk about, Layla is such a glow up from Marlene in the comics in terms of character. Because Layla's actually a badass. Like, I love the scene when she chucks the flare in the ammo feed. Well, plus she, plus she single-handedly defeats one of the mummies in hand-to-hand combat. So, again, with yeah. Fl- yeah. That was cool. No, she's a badass. I like that. I want that on record that I prefer her as love interest. All right. I, I have no more thoughts on this one. Uh, Wundvog? Uh, I think that covers it, but, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see where it's going from here. And I tend to watch these episodes uh, with Woundvog, so, you know, might bring him back on. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> There's more holes in that fridge. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> Ulrich, do you yeah. have any final thoughts on the episode? No. Like, I'm racking my brain. Like, what do I think is going to be happen next? And my only – like, this is an impression. This is a hope. Like, all right, keep the weirdness going. Let's keep the weird, psychedelic, mind fuckery. I don't know what's happening that we got near the end of this episode. Oh, oh. oh, this would be a great chance to dig into Mark's past. I think that that's something we're going to do. We're going to get to know Mark as a person. Oh, very Probably. true. Like, I guess thinking about it, like, uh, two more thoughts then. Uh, <clears throat> the whole point about the, the scales of truth is it, you know, it weighs your, your past deeds against your soul. And in this case, also your future deeds, but yes. Yeah. So, yeah, we will get to see, uh, probably will get to see, like, all the bad things that they've done, uh, if that is the way they go. But one final way of, like, I kind of like to see the show go, I'm thinking there's going to be a god prison break. Oh, I definitely. Think, yeah, they're, they're, uh, all the other, all the little other statues, like, that was, uh, I think that's a bit of a Chekhov's gun setup. So, oh, agreed. Yeah. If I'm talking about predictions that I will make, I, I agree with the God breakout. I think next episode will probably be a almost entirely psychic landscape episode that is a delve into people's background and whatnot. I think that since Harrow has mentioned that he the scales don't lie and he can kind of see when he's weighing, but he can also see the future and the past. I'm betting if there is going to be a we are actually at the MCU stinger and there's going to be a Dark Avengers, that's how they're going to do it, is somehow in a vision of Amit. Uh, those would be my my three predictions I'll, I'll, I'll make for the time being. Yeah, no, I don't know what else. I mean, I'm really curious, like, where what are we building towards? Yeah. Like, obviously, it's the reveal of Jake and whatever cool costume he manifests. True. I do think he'll have to have... <laughs> I, I feel like Jake's costume's got to be like '90s Edge Lord <laughs> comics. So. I'm hoping not. I don't want that. I want his more tactical black and white costume. That's, uh, that's fair. Yeah, combat suit. That's fair. Yeah. All right. Well, I we don't went know. longer. We went much longer than we normally do for these. So. <laughs> 
I guess catch us next week for the next review. Hey everyone, Geeks with Shields here, cold open, Axel Wright with his co-host. Lord Commander Ulrich. And today we're continuing our Echo Log series on Moon Knight, and as I tend to watch them lately with my buddy, we brought him back on. Hi. Moonvog. Anyway. I'm back too. So, Ulrich, let's get right into this, because for some reason I'm in a speedy mood here. Give us our recap for episode, what, what are we on, five? Yes, because there's only six episodes. Next week is the final episode. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Well, anyway. Uh-huh. We're going to have to talk about that, too. Yeah. So go ahead, Ulrich. What happened in this episode, which is called Asylum? Holy shit, a lot happened in this episode. Uh, we discovered that Mark and Steven are, in fact, dead, and that they are, you know, on their way to the afterlife, and that there are lots of afterlifes. And I first I got to admit, that's the kind of correct way to view it, but no here nor there. But they have to balance their souls before they reach the, what is it, was the Field of Reeds? Field of Reeds. Field of Reeds. Yeah, we'll circle back to that as well, because I want to talk about that. And if they don't balance their their souls, then they will be cast into the desert of unsettled spirits. Basically, what that means is we get one big origin story to Mark Spector and Stephen Grant and all the traumatic goodness that that ensues. Basically, we find out that Mark had a little brother who tragically died, and that made his mother kind of... I don't know what the correct terminology is. Spiral, and then take it out on Mark. Yes, I was more searching for what mental term was the most appropriate. Yes. And she becomes an abusive alcoholic, which then leads to Mark creating Stephen to cope with it. And I'm jumping around the timelines and tearing it, telling it, whatever. You watch this episode theoretically. And we find out about all the people that Mark killed as a mercenary in a really creepy scene of all the bodies were just stacked in a cafeteria. Well, stack's not the right word. They were sitting around at tables and whatnot, but yes. Yeah, that was still, oh, so much to talk about. That's why I'm speeding through this, because I want to get to the meat. Um, we find out that the last time that Mark had control of Stephen, really, was when he went back to the States to see his mother. The trauma was so much that it caused, you know, kind of Stephen to take over for a hot second. That was a big deal. And we've got the whole how Stephen became Moon Knight because we get the flashback to the scene where Mark, you know, was joined the army, went AWOL in a fugue state. We'll talk about that. Um, murdered a bunch of people, refused to murder the archaeologist, was murdered by his CEO, Bushmaster, which uh, we'll talk about well, that. Bushman, but yes. Uh, dragged himself to the altar Kansu was prepared to commit suicide when Kansu was like, hold on, that's a waste. Let's make a contract. And becomes Moon Knight. And they're all like, yay, cool, we did it. The scales are balanced, only to find out, no, they aren't. And now we're being attacked by the restless souls. Oh, and it looks like Harold's plan is working because look at all these souls falling. Oh, shit, we need to turn this ship around. Oh, we need to have this cool, big, fun, punchy action fight. Yay, everyone survived. Oh, no, Mark's going to get drug over the edge, but Steven's going to save him. Yay, it's all good. Oh, no, Steven got drug over the, the edge. Steven's dead. Heartbreaking scene before Mark can process the field of weed. Field of weed? <laughs> wheat. Because <laughs> those were not reeds. Those look like wheat 
you know, to me. Like, read, I think, bamboo. I was just talking about the way you said it, though. I heard field of weed, and I was like, that sounds like a very different afterlife. <laughs> if you're just going to sit in a big, sunny field, I think being stoned is probably the best way to enjoy that. Probably make it take a lot longer. Uh, yeah, and then the only thing I think Ulrich missed that I would add is, uh, obviously the hippo goddess is in the whole, like, episode, and she is a gem. She is just, a yeah, tower rat. She's just charming and, and cutesy. And, uh, oh, also there's still plenty of scenes that illustrate that this may, quote unquote, all be in Mark's head. Yeah, the flashing back and forth to the mental asylum. This is all in its head. Yeah, no, there there was a lot. I'm assuming you've watched this. The reason I kind of rushed it is there's this is such a good, great episode, and there's so much to discuss and pick apart, and I love it so goddamn much. All right, go for it then. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's let's go the big one right off the top. This may be one of the most heartbreaking <laughs> moments these Disney Plus shows have done, right up there with. Wanda saying goodbye to her family at the end of WandaVision. Mm. Well, I think everything about this is really just a gut punch. Like the Mark, you know, when Mark's mom won't come down for his birthday. Like, I knew it was coming. Like, I'm like, okay, I can kind of get where this is going. The minute we introduced younger brother, I'm like, oh, no, I know where this is going. But something about the series of events and... Oscar Isaacs just refused, like, we're not going to that memory. You don't need to see that. Steven finding out he only exists as a coping mechanism. Well, that's why, for me, the line that really stuck out was when Mark says to Steven, that is what you were for. <laughs> you are meant to live a normal life. So, I mean, the scene, and Oscar, like I said, we keep talking about how great Oscar is, like, but the scene that almost, you know, just, like, breaks my heart is the part where... Uh, Steven takes control and he picks up his phone like, oh yeah, mom, I'm lost again. I'm such a Muppet. And it's like, oh, you poor bastard. You just have all this trauma that you can't handle and you just like, oh, okay, here comes your helper friend and he's just such as, and now everything about Steven makes so much more sense. I will also say that like, technically the MCU has gone darker in general, but there's something very visceral about the sequence where his mother basically breaks down the door and then grabs a belt and then just starts walking towards him. Yeah, there's just something, like, specifically viscerally dark about that. That It's not just the dark, but it's the set. It feels so hammered. Like, you've seen all these scenes leading up to it, all this trauma and how bad you feel for this poor kid, you know? He mm-hmm. just, he feels horrible. He's carrying this guilt. His dad, he feels like the family, everything about this, everything about Oscar. And again, that performance where Oscar is like, no, 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 no. It just, it's the cherry on the Sunday, man. Yeah. Although I think it, the heavy implication uh, that I think is neat that the scales wouldn't balance is because they're still incomplete on one side. They're still yep. A heart missing. <laughs> yep, and we'll, we'll we'll okay. Let's let's jump to that real quick. So we have a, I talked to Side with her about this, but we have a scene in the asylum where Mark picks up the award and says, "Nice little setup you got here for yourself, Doc." That was a different performance. That was a different voice. 
Oh. I didn't Did you pick, guys notice that? I didn't pick up on that, but I think I could, I think in memory I can see what you're talking about. Because at first I like, I thought I imagined that. Then I asked like, she's like, no, that was a very different performance. On top of it, too, he, uh, while he's trying to back away, he picked up a weapon. Mm-hmm. His very go-to to vi- jump to violence. So yes, it could be another hinting there. That's I don't. I was waiting for you know uh, Jake Lockley to show up, but that one was like that. Really feels different. And again, I could be imagining it, but that one to me felt so much like that was a noticeable shift in everything about him. Yeah. On top of things too, the. Uh, him talking about, or Mark's like, you know, turns out you can't be in the army if you go into fugue states. Uh huh. Yeah, but Stephen, he specifically says to Stephen, our lives didn't start blending until his mother's, uh, his mother's death. So what was that fugue state about? Because the fugue state only occurs when the, when the personality shift. Yeah. No, they're definitely setting up things that's like, okay, they're doing this. And now I really kind of want it to be the big reveal at the end of the final episode of, wait, who are you? Oh, I'm Jake Lockley, and just drop it there. So everyone's like, wait, there's a third personality? Honestly, the thing that I, I wanted to see, and uh, maybe I'll still get an opportunity next episode, and this is just the spiteful part of my personality, I guess, is we see the the hippo, the ta, is it Tawaret? Tawaret. Tawaret. All right, we see Tawaret recognize that, oh, there's a bunch of souls that are falling to the sands without being judged. Something is going wrong. We're going to go to the Osiris Gate so that I can send you guys back up to maybe fix this. So we see that. I want to see <laughs> all the other Council of Gods being like, well, we screwed up because, I don't know, I just want to see them get their being punishment for being idiots. Anyway. Yeah. No. They got a hat trick to pull off because there's so much to resolve. And honestly, the final episode has kind of been the stumbling block for these shows so far. Uh, let's see. If I think about all the shows, WandaVision's final was great. Loki's was half great. When, uh, Captain, or Falcon and Winter Soldier was, eh, it was okay. And Hawkeye's was probably the least interesting of them as far as final episodes would go. So, I don't know, their batting average is probably in, like, the 60 to 70 percents. Yeah, but anyways, it's, I mean, the biggest criticism is they fall apart. Like, people don't like WandaVision because it kind of ditches the format up to that to become a big magic fight. But that's kind of exactly the point of the entire format, so, sorry. Thanks. I agree. I'm just, you know, listing the general criticisms. Uh, a lot of people felt the season, the, the closer for Loki was way too talky. Which is what I like about it, personally. I like that, too. But I found out that the reason it is was they were supposed to have two more episodes, but COVID. Mm. So they had to condense things. I don't know, man. Just having that last episode basically focus on Kang made sense to me. But anyway, I guess we're not everyone. So (laughs) So I do want to talk about there is some general criticism against this episode, and it feels really dumb in that people are calling it formulate the show is too formulaic okay and i just want to address it's like no story structure is a thing okay i think 
I think I can understand only because I have made it a point when talking to other people about the show so far that the first three episodes were actually very good at circumventing my expectation. Like, we've got recordings where I make prediction that turns out to be wrong the next episode. And I watch a lot of movies. We watch a lot of shows and movies and stuff. So, like, I'm not an expert or anything, but I'm pretty, you know, tuned into, like, structure and formula and stuff. So that was impressive. Now, this episode, not so much. I, I can understand that. I don't see it as a problem, but I can understand where the complaint comes from. Yeah, but the, the whole set of this is this episode is literally a follow-up. It's it's incorrect to look at it as two separate episodes rather than the second part of the story that started at the end of the last episode. So it's like getting upset that it's not being circumventive or that it's not doing something different every episode. It feels a little silly. Yeah, like, the show doesn't need to be breaking, like, ground every episode. Like, it already did it a number of times to be impressive enough. And that's yes. point is to basically have a, all right, here's a pretty formulaic background so we can, you know, keep going forward with other stuff. Uh, it's not people on- aren't accusing it of being a formulaic background. They're just going, oh, and in the fi- second to last episode, we find out what his backstory is. Yeah, why not? What's wrong yeah, with that? Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> where, where did you think that was going to come into play? You know, following the episode of we're going to get to know this character more, and then we discovered more about the character before his, you know, the big climax and then the falling action. Yeah, I, I try to keep track. Like some, like I said, I was surprised there was any negative comments because, well, that's not true. I was surprised well, that I, the criticism was felt so dumb and baseless. Well, as I just established, I. You know, we're not necessarily fully in tune with, like, a whole, like, the audience or anything like that. And I uh, don't agree with the criticisms that you brought up that people have aimed at other shows. So, you know, color me unsurprised. I I just try and keep track of, like, what the big arguments are that bubble to the surface so we can discuss them. And that was, like, the only one that really bubbled up. I'm surprised I'm not seeing people going... Sure isn't much, you know, Moon Knight in this Moon Knight show, to which, because that was something we got to comment, because um, I said last week was the most Moon Knighty episode of Moon Knighty, and uh, one of our patrons, Arthur Crane, said, I love that you say that in an episode where there's very little of the costume of Moon Knight, and that's what makes this a Moon Knight show. Moon Knight really isn't the costume as much as it is the weird head trippiness, the making you question what's real, and the trauma and grief of Mark Spector. Yeah, that's fair. It's funny also, because he kills people. We talked about that last week. Like, are they just going to you know, try and go? Well, he was a mercenary, but he was a good mercenary. It's like, no, he killed people as a mercenary, and he's killed people as Moon Knight because Kansu tells him to. And he remembers them all, which yes. is another a keynote from like Winter Soldier, for instance. So, well, that's kind of his bag. Is he's like he knows he's not a good guy. He fully recognizes that. But he does the best he can to be a good guy. But Khonshu is a very grim god. So it all plays into the power dynamic. Again, this is Moon Knight. This is why I love Moon Knight comics. And I kind of wonder if people are going to come away going, that Moon Knight show wasn't what I expected. But I feel like a majority of like, that Moon Knight show is awesome. And I want to read the comics. And this show preps you perfectly for, you know, that. I have... 
I don't know how to phrase this properly because I think from an objective standpoint, this episode was really good. I think that we're gearing up very well and I have no reason to have any sort of like not positive feelings. And yet somehow I found myself, I don't know, bored is too strong a word, but antsy maybe. And I don't know why and I can't figure it out. <laughs> Interesting. I was loving your moment because, like I said, some of this is, like, lifted from the Moon Knight comics. I will say this is such a better origin for his uh, D.O.D. than in the comics. What was in the comics? In the comics, he discovers that his childhood rabbi was a Nazi. Ah, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> Which, that's horrible, and it works there. Like, the trauma of this person you trusted was not the person you thought. And it was horrible, but I think it is so much more personal when it's apparent. Well, also, it's connected directly to, quote, unquote, the first person Mark killed. So, Yes. And I love that we, you know, I was I was hesitant. I kept saying, you know, when they were first casting for Moon Knight, it needs to be a Jewish actor because Moon Knight is one of the few Jewish characters. I'm glad they kept that in this translation, at least in that Mark Spector is still a Jewish man. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a little detail, but I was like, okay, that's cool. I'm glad they didn't. Well, it's funny because I had both a negative and positive vibe with that. Mostly positive, but only for a moment because, like, when it shows – Mark show up to his mom's funeral. He's wearing, I think it's a yarmulke, right? Yes. And, and I had a moment of like, is that a yarmulke? Have they mentioned at all up to this point that he's Jewish? And that was my first initial thought. And then my follow-up thought was, well, they don't need to. It's just part of his character, but it's not a part important part of this story. So having it just be a thing that's there without comment on is actually kind of cool. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Mark being Jewish isn't really so much a thing past his origin of, you know, his uh, DID and the fact that he is the son of a rabbi who was also a Holocaust survivor. You could also argue, and I think this is probably intentional in his original concept creation, that, you know, uh, Hebrewism, right, is the oldest Abrahamic faith, and it's the Abrahamic faith that existed in ancient Egypt – and the story about ancient Egypt that most Western people are most familiar with, the story of Moses, is literally all about the Jewish people. So having Mark be beholden to Egyptian gods while maintaining his own Jewish heritage creates some interesting, like, the thematic cohesion. Oh, that. there's definitely something to do with it, like, more than they ever did in the comics. Like, the comics, I mean, it's only really there so they can have the gut punch of his rabbi being a Nazi and, you know, his father being a rabbi who was, you know, a survivor of the Holocaust. Yeah. Well, what's also interesting is that, um, have you read, uh, have you read Magnus Chase at all, Oric? No. I know. Okay. All right. For anyone who doesn't know, Magnus Chase is essentially the Norse version of the, the, the Rick Riordan. Rick Riordan thing. I was trying to think of the Lightning Thief, like, full title. But, so anyway, Rick Riordan is this author who writes mythology stories with a modern edge for, uh, young kids to preteen age. It, it's actually pretty good for what it is. So Magnus Chase, right, is all the Norse version of it. But, that's not, not an important point. The point point is that in the Magnus Chase series, there is a character who is a Valkyrie. And in Rick Riordan's world, Valkyries are like normal people who, 
then have the job, essentially, of being a Valkyrie in their off time. And so the normal person who is this is also, like, a Muslim, and she is asked how she can co- uh, have these two ideas of having her Abrahamic faith while also literally interacting with the Norse gods. And she basically comes down to, like, well, because I don't really see them as gods as much as just other very powerful beings. That's still a separate thing from my faith. And so you could literally have something similar going on here where it's like the Egyptian gods at this point, we see that they have, you know, crazy godly power. Conchu turning back to night sky is probably the best example of this, but it would not be hard to get around the idea that Mark still has his own faith in his God without that conflicting with interacting with Egyptian gods. I don't know. I mean, they're not going to do it, but there's definitely a very interesting story to go like dive, do a deep dive on Mark's faith, given his trauma, given all the different personalities, given his interaction with gods. Woonvog, any thoughts? I feel like I've kind of stepped on you. (laughs) No worries. I mean, even on this, it it could be, uh, you know, it's clear that he tried to have solve a connection with his father, but there was a there's a bit of resentment there that the father couldn't stop the spiraling mother. Mm. Uh, so that might be also an attempt to keep a connection to him. Uh, I will say, I think that great thing <clears throat> about that scene is it shows that Mark is both being fair and unfair. He's fair in that the way his mother has treated him is abhorrent. <laughs> yeah. But he's also being unfair because he says to his father, it's supposed to be your job to fix this. So of course, yeah, it's, you know, venting and pushing it to other people. Uh, but it's very interesting. I'm, uh, I love the, throughout the episode, the continual jumping to the, uh, basically the, or is it scenario of him talking I'm, to a therapist. I'm really curious where that's going. Well, because they said the transition phase, you know, it's some, it appears different to everybody else. Like, that's why the asylum in the asylum. But the weird disconnect back to this is all a dream, this is all in your head, feels separate from that. Well, it makes it even more so when the the various instances of things happening within the psychiatric hospital are not self-consistent. And that's very obviously on purpose because, mm-hmm. like, the whole sequence where, where Stephen, Mark, whatever, or Mark – grabs the weapon as Wunvog brought up earlier, then that then the next time he's in the the doctor's office, Dr. Harrow, he's he is acting like that previous instance just didn't happen. So like yeah. the various encounters with Dr. Harrow seem to be not consistent with each other, which I think is saying something about his mental I think it's further evidence that that of course is not a real thing happening, but it's still which is such a great lift from the comics because there's no way they can make this. They can play the is Khonshu real? Is any of this real? And this is in his head because he's going to show up on the Avengers and the Avengers has a single continuity like he can in the comics because every time a Moon Knight run comes out, it gets rebooted by the next guy. So they totally can play around with is this version of Mark crazy or does he really have superpowers? So by doing this, making you question is it real but also making you question what is this weird parallel timeline you get that kind of weirdness that you get in the comics without having to do the whole 
which reality is the real one, you know? Yeah. And I don't think they're going to do this because Moon Knight doesn't seem to be interested in this, but it wouldn't be, in my opinion, far out of left field to have it literally be these are all all reality and that the multiverse stuff that's been happening in the background is Ooh. somehow impacting him and he's experiencing different Mark's realities. So Maybe because the final episode will coincide right before Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, and I this show has already happen, been... But I no, this show's been, like, really light on MCU connections, so maybe a stinger at the end of Episode 6, which, let's talk about Episode 6 and the monumental task of bringing this thing to land. Um, I don't know how, mostly because I don't see how... We, so the implication is that Ahmet has been released, right? That's yes. the implication of this episode. So, it has begun. Yeah, so we have to... First, we have to have Khonshu be released somehow. So that's the, mm-hmm. uh, but even before that, we have to get, because last we left, Steven was left in the sands and Mark was left in the field of reeds. So yep. the first basic question is, how do we get them out of death? So, well, just, is Steven dead? Can Steven die? Cause this is what Spike and I were talking about. Like, he's not a person. He's a personality. And, as the understanding goes, a personality falls away when it's no longer needed. So if Mark has accepted his trauma, does he still need Steven? And and that is the big question, too, because with the whole setup of, you know, Steven, Steven sacrificing himself and falling to the sands, uh, it pushes the idea of, of course, uh, this is going way thematic with it, but the loss of innocence. He, uh, Mark has, Mark has, spiritually lost his uh his inner safety net uh because that inner safety net suddenly had its own consciousness and and risked itself to save him ultimately doing what he initially well dissociated for in the first place Stephen was to protect him uh so now we have uh we have him in the in an afterlife but we also know he's near Osiris's gate which i'm guessing would be a good uh transition to get him to the uh pyramids to do egyptian god prison break which mm-hmm. will be a lot of fun i'm sure mm-hmm. uh but i think the big thing now is now that we have the loss of the innocence we're going to have the appearance of his callousness, which will be the red sarcophagus, Jack, whoever, uh, Jake. his consciousness that's going to pop out and is more than willing to kill to get uh, results done. Yeah, as literally going to say, because that sarcophagus is still on the boat. We don't know what happened to that. So technically that would be like the the man on the inside at this point. So. Because, I mean, it, it raises such interesting questions of there were two hearts that had to be in balance. And it's like, but it's not a real person. It wouldn't really have a soul. Well, it's it's more that he was, he's a part of Mark's soul. But we also, yeah. don't, we also don't know that the, the show's not specific about, like, let me put this way. It would not surprise me at all if the mythology at play here made it so that like Stephen actually did have a soul and that's something mm-hmm. in the act of that 
that like a soul can create another soul from itself. I mean, souls aren't a, to our knowledge from a scientific perspective, we have no evidence that that's not how they work. So well, I feel like yeah. every every jump uh in scene for Moon Knight, I just kind of feel like someone just sits behind you and goes, "Or is it?" <laughs> I mean, that's Moon Knight in a nutshell. <laughs> it's yeah. a lot of, or is it? Yeah. So my, my point is that we don't actually know about the the exact nature of Stephen's reality. We know where he came from, yes, and we know what he is in reference to Mark, but when it comes to how he relates to the mechanics of the afterlife, we can only guess. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if they're going to bring him back because the death is so tragic and so heartbreaking and thematically it makes sense, but you could also totally hit... I I just don't know if it makes sense to bring him back, but otherwise it's going to feel kind of lopsided personality-wise if it's just, you know, Mark the angry one and Jake the angrier one. Well, what I, what I can see... And um, this might be a hack move, but I think it would be more like he could recreate him, whether consciously or not. And so that Steven can be around, but it'd be a version of Steven who has no memory of anything that has happened up to this point. That's what I thought. But it would have to, what purpose does he serve? Because like Slagathor pointed out, it's like, just because he fell off the boat doesn't mean he's dead. If the trauma is still there, then the personality is still there. True. So there's nothing saying he couldn't come back because his purpose is to help Mark with the trauma. And if Mark hasn't resolved the trauma, then the personality doesn't go away. Yeah, well, that's kind of why I think it would be the the Stephen still exists, but that version of Stephen is gone. It'd be basically set back to zero. Yeah. Yeah, and that makes most sense. Like I said, I'm hoping this is going to be like a 90-minute finale to wrap things up because there's so much to wrap. I don't know what it's going to look like. Yeah, so much to wrap that we've basically talked. Actually, I'm not sure how long we've been talking because me and Ulrich talked a bit before recording and the timer's off. <laughs> so <laughs> We're looking at about a half. This is our longest episode to date. This is running about half an hour before edit. Or right, well, will it be? Or will it be? Moon Knight! <laughs> Alright, well then I have no concluding thoughts. You two? Uh, I'm excited to see where this goes and to see how uh, Moon Knight fits into later things. So I'm down for wherever this uh, roller coaster takes us. Um, so this has been so, so, so good. And my last concluding thought is if Oscar Isaac does not get an Emmy nom for this, then what the fuck is even the point? Fair enough. Alright, catch us next week for the finale. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to a very special episode of Geeks with Shields. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich. I'm a shield brother, Axel Wright. And we're assuming that if you're listening to this, you either are a patron and you've been following along, or you're one of our listeners and you've just been binging through our week-long epic of Moon Knight. And we are here at the conclusion, finally. Or this could be a year later and you're listening to it, but either way. <laughs> hey, how's Moon Knight Season 2 worked out? Fingers crossed. Yeah, um, so this is an odd one, but we're just going to kind of mash the two episodes together, and we're going to mash by, you know, thanking the people that gave us money that, you know, pushed us to do this week to week. 
despite the recording issues that may have created. They are our wonderful, wonderful patrons. They are Pam Galley, Marquis, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vay, Brendan Agnew, John Vinnels, Kit Kenny, Seth Decker, Donald Lucy, Nathan Willis, Patrick Anderson, Carson Wells, Scott Rubin, and Derek Ducade. Now, if you'd like to listen to this in, you know, smaller chunks instead of, you know, being a three-hour supercut, you can go on at patreon.com forward slash geeks with shield and get the episodes individually plus some extra bonus content. And if not, thanks for sticking with us for the longest episode of Geeks with Shields ever. All right. I was unaware that that was how this was going down, but Ulrich made an executive decision, and I'm not necessarily against it. But yeah. continuing, continuing from last time, because we're talking Moon Knight, and I currently watch any Disney Plus show at my friend Woonvog's house. He's joining us. Oh. Yeah, I think Woonvog's been in the last few so it worked out he gets to be here at the finale yeah perfectly fair anyway so do we get right into it i believe you gave us a light rundown we're going to start off by just talking about the final episode and then we'll go to like general thoughts afterwards yep this is going to be a big sprawling capstone to our journey with moon knight i think all right Ulrich. then why don't you give us your offhand recollection of the final episode for anybody who like me sometimes doesn't watch the show and just wants to know kind of what happened. <laughs> so we open and shit's gone bad. Mark's, you know, dead. Steven's dead. Mark wants to get back to the land of the living, but is told, like, if you leave here, there's no coming back. And goes, don't care. Goes, resurrects Mark. I mean, Steven. Steven, yes. Um... Then they're off to big, epic, epic, grand adventure. Uh, cut to Le- uh, Layla at the Temple of the Avatars and Axel's favorite moment of all the Avatars getting their well-deserved comeuppance and getting just slaughtered. It's true. I wish we could have actually seen it, though. Yeah. And Layla trying to free Moon uh, Khonshu. Khonshu going hey, you should be my avatar, you know, you have no other choice. And Layla going, no, you're a dick, which I loved, that we didn't even toy with the idea of Layla becoming the new Moon Knight. She's like, no, I've seen what you put Mark through. I'm not taking that deal. Cut back to uh, Khonshu coming to Mark and resurrecting him, giving him the whole powers. Mark and Steven striking a new deal because they now have a balance and going to Conchie, like, no, we're done with you after this. You have been nothing but a giant dick. Um, cut to... I'm jumping around because it's been a while since I've seen this all. Anyways, I'm assuming you've all seen this. We're just hitting the cliff notes here. We'll dig into the meat further down. Uh, cut to Layla becoming the avatar of... Towering? There it is. Also, you skip over the most important point, which is at this point, uh, Arthur Harrow had freed Ahmet, who yeah. is a a crocodile lady. Who Giant crocodile lady. In love with. So <laughs> I am I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised either. We'll talk about it more uh, later. We get this cool fight between Ahmet and Khonshu in the small scale, as you know, they try and get her, which then gets scaled up to an epic fight with them in the kaiju scale, mirroring the fight between Harrow and Moon Knight and Layla with her sick-ass costume on the ground. Then cut to Mark 
and Steven kind of getting kicked out of the body for a second and finding Harrow beaten and bloody on the ground and nobody knowing who's responsible for that. And then deciding to complete the ritual that will bind Ahmet to Harrow and Khonshu going, okay, we need to kill him. It's the only way. And them going, well, now you've become just as bad at her, which I take serious umbrage with because Ahmet's thing was we have to kill them before they do bad things. She already did the bad things. She killed the people. This isn't prejudgment. This is actual post-judgment, but whatever. She was, there was a very specific exchange of dialogue there, but. Continue. We'll circle back to that when we get into the meat of the episode. Um, then Mark is like, all right, well, our deal is done. We have our agreement. I am free. Conchu's like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. Mark and Steven are at peace. We get a cut back in to the mental asylum, which we'll talk about. We get someone that's definitely not Mark and definitely not Steven. And then we see Harrow, you know, bleeding from his sandals and Mark and Steven and third personality seeming to accept everything. Waking up, everything's golden, fine, and seems good. And then we cut to our post-credit scene, which is Harrow in a mental asylum and and taking him past a couple dead orderlies out to a which I will talk about at the very end because I was very excited by the end of this, putting him in the back seat with Khonshu, having a conversation, and Khonshu going, I was never after Layla. My perfect avatar existed all along, and his name is Jake Lockley. Rolls down the window, Harrow gets shot, and they drive away in the Spectremobile. <laughs> a couple uh, points of what Ork has said. Um, Tolaret also speaks to Layla through dead bodies before they become yep. an avatar, which is pretty neat. Yep. And I'm guessing you don't watch with subtitles on? I do not. Okay. Uh, we do, and I will point out that what's going on in the Asylum sequence, actually, is that he is changing between Stephen and Mark with every line, is what's going on. Yeah, you can hear it I, in his accent, but the yeah. subtitles make it explicit. So I kind of picked that up, but then there is that scene where it's made very clear, and I'm so, I am glad that I was not crazy that that was Jake kind of slipping in there as well in the scene with the little glass award pillar, what have you in last week's episode. Oh yeah. That was probably certainly the case. So in last week's episode, I was saying that in this one, uh, Jake does make an appearance at the very end, but I don't know if they're crediting it as him, but that was most definitely Jake that slipped in there because it wasn't Mark's accent. Uh, I'm telling you, go back and watch that. That was not Mark. Yeah. I I noticed that a little bit because it's, it was really just in the one line of, you know what I think. It yeah. was just like slight tinge to the accent that wasn't it's, English and it wasn't the more. It's almost black. a Jersey Brooklyn one. Yes, exactly. Anyway, so I guess thoughts. My, my first thought, right, is that the ending is fine. <laughs> I think the big catch about it. Oh, I want to bring up real quick. So the, the, the umbrage, the idea, the, the exchange of dialogue that happens at that moment is that Conchu is urging Mark to kill Harrow, and then he says very specifically, if you don't let her live, she will kill more people, and we we have to stop that. And that is when Mark replies, now you sound like her. So he's Which, literally... Th- I just a separate we'll thing. circle back to that. Yeah. 
Okay. I just want, I wanted to talk about like our overall impressions of this show, how we liked it, what we think of it, general rankings and whatnot, and then general criticisms I've seen online. Uh, okay. My general thoughts are, it's fine. I, I like it well enough. I think it's probably less good. I think it's less good than WandaVision and probably less good than, uh, Loki on the whole, Ooh. but better than, better than Captain, or better than Falcon Winter Soldier, better than Hawkeye, if I were to make a personal kind of thing. Uh, Oscar Isaacs mostly does a lot of the carrying. Ethan Hawke does a pretty good job. I think it was an all, overall, it's a pretty solid show. Is my thoughts. Okay. Moonbug? Uh, yeah, about the same. I, I very much enjoyed it. Uh, I definitely feel like this one is pushing more into, like, this is, uh, just a precursor to the next part of the show where it's mm-hmm. like uh some of the other shows it felt like a definitive this is the beginning and end of this story where this is like no this is just the start of the of an of the bigger story yeah no i this is currently my number one it narrowly edges out wandavision because i think the finale works better than wandavision does by a hair but I also readily accept my Moon Knight bias because this is the project I've been asking for since before the podcast started. Mm-hmm. Yes, perfectly fair. <laughs> uh, um, another interesting touch, though, is uh, I know you guys have commented on it a couple times, but still no deep connection to uh, the MCU, really. No connection at all. There's, yeah. Which is kind of neat. There's, uh, I guess... In, like, the first episode, there's an ad on one of the buses, I think that's for finding people post-blip. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. It. Yeah, it's like, I don't expect this to be completely insular, but I do like that for the first season, it is. Yeah, no. I I like that, because there's a kind of thing like, what is Phase 4? It doesn't seem to be moving in a particular direction. And I like that Phase 4 is like, we can make a fortune off any of these characters. Let's just have fun with these characters and let this world exist. We don't have to build towards anything just yet. And this feels very, like this, between this and Doctor Strange and Eternals and a lot of ones, it feels like Marvel's really like, we can make a fortune off these things. Let's be a bit different. Let's see what we can do. Let's see what we can get away with. Mm. Because this one felt much, it was way different than anything that's come before not only in the level of violence, but just in, like, the content, and that it wasn't as much superhero punchy-punch as some of the other ones were. And a lot of people, like, some of the criticisms are there wasn't enough Moon Knight in this finale. Um, a lot of people are saying that they, it feels incomplete without the promise of a season two. They're going to have to do a season two. There's no way he goes from this to the Avengers and has it work. Um, that's the big one. He does go to the Avengers, and the way it ended, I don't think that's a foregone conclusion at this point. So, the, well, the minute he showed up in uh, Avengers Campus, I knew he was destined for the MCU. Mm-hmm. But uh, the big chief complaint I'm seeing a lot of people going saying like, "Okay, well, it was good, but it feels like it was missing an episode," and I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah, the whole thing does feel a little short. But... I, I was, was surprised that it was short, but I'm just not sure what people think an extra episode would add. Admittedly, I think it's more I would like, I would have liked another episode, Just, but that's just because I liked the characters. I would have liked them to, I would have liked to see them do a bit more, but I think it was, 
uh, it was concise. Like everything, yeah. everything's there in a good wrapped package. And my thoughts on it are, I'm excited to see Moon Knight like unexpectedly appear in places, especially when those new heroes or whoever he runs into aren't going to have the understanding of this is a this is a hero with a dissociative identity who both or at least two of the three known personalities work together, uh, especially because and. Uh, minor, minor spoilers for Eternals, for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. Uh, I have heard that Marvel did make it clear that in the stinger credit for that, with, uh, uh, what's his name, Black Black Knight's character, when he's looking at the sword, we hear a voice talking to him uh, from off screen. They have said, I've heard, I haven't checked this source, that was Blade. Yeah, no, that was, uh, the director got asked at a Q&A, and she just said, oh, yeah, that was, uh, oh, and I'm blanking on the actor's name. Mahershala Ali, isn't that who's playing yeah. Blade? Yeah, she said, oh, that was Mahershala Ali, and everyone was like, oh, no one ever thought just to ask the director straight out. So, no, I definitely, like, and that's the thing, everyone says there's no clear plan to phase four, and, like, there is if you know what you're looking for. But, uh, so we have, like, you know, we have the Black Knight potentially appearing in uh, in UK areas, which we know that's where Steven is. Uh, again, we have inklings of both Hawkeye and, well, Hawkeye, Spider-Man, Blade soon, uh, and even even small hintings of Daredevil back in New York. So we have... We have a lot of good potential to see Moon Knight appear in other things. There's a lot of pieces on the board. If we could get Captain Britain, we can get a UK Avengers going. True. Fair enough. But anyways, we're gonna. Like, there's a bunch I do wonder about. Like, is Moon Knight going to start showing up in various news things? And how are Stephen and Mark going to react to that? Like, I don't remember going out last night. Do you? <laughs> and I, I feel here's my current operating theory. Disney hasn't announced a season two of Moon Knight for two reasons. One, they want to submit it under the limited series Emmy nomination so they can get themselves an award. Mm -hmm. Because Oscar Isaac could totally get that for his performance here. The other one being Disney wants to wait for the notes to come back so they can kind of go, okay, what do we want to do with season two? Fair. Yeah, I can see that happening. Like, are you very much in the same vein as, uh, what they did with what if it's like here's some here's some things that won't be able to make a full series of, but uh, we're gonna test them in this, and if they're popular, maybe we'll see them in other things. Yeah, because Moon Knight was weird. Like a lot of people were put off by how weird it was. Which that's the character. That's why I loved it. So there's definitely I think Disney's going. Okay, did did people follow all of that? Can can we do that again? Well, it's funny because, like, maybe that's why I was saying before, it's weird, but I don't feel like it's as weird as it's being made out to be. Like, again, I don't think it's as weird as WandaVision or Loki, so. I think it's weirder than both of those, but neither of those are particularly weird. But we're also coming from a comic background where we're a bit more prepped for this. I don't know how mainstream audiences view it. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess to me when I say that it's not that weird, it's like, what is the weird stuff going on here? A character with DID and Egyptian mythology. To me, that yes. isn't nearly as weird as dealing with uh, the branching timelines of an infinite time multiverse or a character who completely recreates the entirety of American television from the 1950s to now over the course of eight, eight episodes with their magic powers. Like, both those ideas, to me, are way more out there than DID Egypt mythology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but again, I'm saying we're coming at it from these are common comic tropes we're used to. I don't know how the normal audience is, because a lot of people were thrown by the whole bouncing back and forth with the mental asylum, and what does that mean? I think it's a very different type of weird, more weird in the sense of surrealness. Yes. Rather than uh, kind of the abstract magic bits of WandaVision, this is legitimately saying, hey, this all might actually be happening in the head of, of an unwell man who has had a psychotic breakdown. Yes. Because, I mean, uh, Krug, my youngest brother, texted me after getting back from Doctor Strange 2 going, that was really weird. I was like, well, one, it's kind of in the name, and two, that's the realm of Doctor Strange. But And he's not a big, he's a comic book guy, but he's not a comic book person. So I, he's my metric. Never talk to my mom yet, because my mom's my other good venture. Like, if she follows, it's like, okay, Anyone's going to get it. But if she was kind of put off by this, then I know, okay, normal audiences, which is the majority of this viewership, I don't know. <laughs> I will I will also admit that, um, so if we're admitting our biases here, what Wundvog just said, the idea of, like, what's going on with maybe it's mental break, um, I've seen that done so amazingly perfect in an episode of Star Trek DS9 called Far Beyond the Stars. Mm. So, and that is, that 45 minutes is a literal perfect execution of the idea. So it's unfair of me to compare. That's probably why I don't see it as that weird, because I've seen literally a much better version of, again, not that it's bad here, it's actually good here, but I'm just saying I've seen a perfect version of that idea in another show. Yeah, and that's what I mean. It's like we are coming in it. We we are not the uh, baseline for this. Um, getting back to the episode and the whole thing, uh, what did you guys think of we missed a chunk of the final confrontation with uh, Harrow? I think, was, I think that's fine. I think it's the fact that it fits in with it's a recall to when the that blackout and bloody stuff happened in episode, what, three? Was that? Yeah. About three, yeah. Yeah, so I think calling that back to remind you to set you up for the end uh, Stinger is perfect. I think the fact that it is preceded by the big Marvel beatdown, so we did get to see that. Yeah, we got some pretty cool with him and Lila and Mr. Knight all competently kicking ass, doing pretty good action, while giant kaiju fight in the background. Oh yeah, um, Steven getting to actually access Mark's skills to fight probably with Mr. Knight, that was great. There's a little moment, it's my favorite moment of the entire fucking show easily, where he's fighting as Mr. Knight, and he, like, punches Arthur through a wall, and then he just, like, fixes his suit. And that's yep. it. It's, like, literally a second and a half, but that little, just, character moment was my favorite bit in the whole show. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. Um, Lila's costume, as I think the character is Red, the Red Scarab. I do. Okay. A Scarab? Okay, that might be a little... Cause I was, well, that's what, that was the nickname her father gave her, too. My little Scarab. Oh. Oh. 
Because I was that's a I was, weird uh, nickname. Yeah, because I admit what I'm about to say is super stupid nitpicking, but it's nitpicking from like a mythology geek kind of perspective. Like, I, don't get me wrong, I don't know my Egyptian mythology nearly as well as my Greek uh, or my Norse or even my Celtic. But to my knowledge, Tauret right is a hippo. Now, Woonvog tells me that Tauret does have several other animals associated with her. But when I saw that, I was like, why is Layla a bird if if she's a hippo's avatar? <laughs> because make scary. that costume work. Make a hippo look badass. I think that wouldn't be hard, actually. So I think it would be extremely difficult. Part of the reason people underestimate how deadly a hippo is is you look at them and going, no, I no, you're just a fat water cow. Still doesn't make any sense for her to be like a if she if Talrat has connection to a scarab though, that could explain it. It's just it just bothered me from like Kanshu a is a bird man. Yeah, and I see bird motif in Moon Knight's outfit. I don't see any. But uh, I would I would say two things. One, I know, or if uh, if I'm remembering it correctly, Tauret also helps look over Ra in during the dawn, which is yes. metaphorically his birth. But during during that part of the day, Ra is also known as a different god who is a scarab. Mm. Uh, but I also think that part of the uh, the idea of the outfit is a she's dressed in the same design that Tabaret was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the wings and then she had a little brooch that had the scarab on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think those are intentionally meant to be referencing to specifically to her from her father. That's fair, I guess. Like I said, I totally admit that it's a nitpick. It's just a little Small thing. But... It's just a thing for me that bugged me. So uh, bugged. Yeah, but <laughs> it also bugged me that Harrow doesn't get an outfit. How, yeah, he, he, he becomes got a cool the scepter, but yeah, yeah, but he had that already. They just made it a little cooler by having to do a neat head trick. But he becomes the avatar of Ahmed, this apparently a super powerful crocodilian goddess. And I think we can agree that there's no argument that you can make a crocodile motif look awesome. So why the yep. fuck did Ethan Hawke get a cool outfit? I had that same thought. Uh, I was waiting, like, okay, what's the cool outfit for Harrow going to be? He didn't get one. No, I I was... Yeah, I I was bummed about that. I'll admit that. But I like, because narratively, Layla becoming this character, uh, you know, representing the goddess that, you know, protects women, teaming up with Moon Knight, the... uh, superhero that protects those who travel by night is, like, his perfect power couple? Well, honestly, okay, I love Tauret in general. Like, everything about her is great. She's got that great, like, fun girl energy. But with Layla's outfit and the thematic stuff going on, like, her outfit is gold and white. It's got, like, a wing kind of pattern that, you know, scarab and or bird she looks like she should be Ra's avatar or Amun's avatar. And yeah. thematically it would have an interesting cohesion because Moon Knight is the moon and she already kind of looks like the sun and you could have this be like this, and she's literally his son. And so it's like everything about that makes sense until it's Towerette specifically. So I'm like, I, yes, what Woonvog just said with the whole like guarding makes sense, but I feel like you just cut out the middleman and have it be like, you literally had her save like Osiris. Why not have just raw well, I guess because you didn't want to introduce him earlier, but I mean, you could, uh, I'm rambling. But my point is that I, I it just, from a, a myth geek perspective, it's just a weird choice to me. 
But Layla's awesome. The outfit's awesome. That all works. So. Yeah. No. I. I don't know. I like I said. My brain was more thematically like they match up because that's one of the cool things of Moon Knight comics is Moon Knight watches over those who travel by night. Be they you know the mom coming off the midnight shift or the girl walking home from a party. Moon Knight's watching out for them. And it pairs perfectly. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say I also like the implication that Khonshu or that Moon Knight can fly at night. <laughs> I was I don't know how I feel about that one. I want the moon copter. Oh gosh. It's cool, okay? I like my Moon Knight a bit more techy with a side of magical armaments, not magic powers of everything. Yeah, it just it felt like a very again, he's he literally proceeded by saying, I am still the god of the night sky. So yeah, but that. So what does he do during the day? Can't fly. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, but he comes There's and he's like, no, no. Does yeah, that too. Is he just calls up like, uh, Moon Knight, Thanos is returned. We need your help. Oh, sorry guys, uh, it's it's daytime. I I only operate at night. Uh, yeah, so uh, sorry. That's, try try Spider Man. That's when he pulls out the copter. There, you get the copter, and we still get flying. Just, but then the copter becomes stupid. It says, I'll be there in five, guys. I'm this guy sure up the moon chopper. Based on what you're saying, but... <laughs> Have you looked up pictures of the moon chopper? No, I haven't, but I know the Thanos copter, and this does not sound any better. Okay, I'm going to get the moon cho- uh, chopper, and I'll put it in chat real quick. You guys go ahead and talk. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't really know what else to say when it comes to the final episode. Like like I said, Layla does a fine job. There's a great bit moment where Tower Red's like, I met your dad, and he's just so proud of you. Uh, Arthur Harrow has this interesting thing where when he first meets Ahmet, she mentions that his scales are unbalanced, and he basically says, I know, and I fully expect to the judgment. So he's like, in his mind, he would he would free, free Ahmet and then die immediately. That was what Crane, or Arthur, was, what he thought was going to happen, which further shows how much of like a true believer he is, which I think is neat. Of course, Ahmet recognizes his loyalty and is like, no, I'm going to make you my avatar. Also, the internet loves Ahmet, and I heard some things about that before watching the episode, and then I saw it, and I was like, ah, oh, it's the eyes and the, the, the sad, the, I get it. I get it. <laughs> that is a terribly designed vehicle. It, that, there's not a good picture. I put one in chat, I can't find the good one. Yeah, that's a good costume. That looks like that kind of looks like they wanted to make the the Wonder Woman Invisible Jet and gave up. So there's no good pictures. I'm surprised. There's a lot of bad pictures of it. But for listeners, it's basically like a crescent moon ship. Yeah, Wait, isn't that an Eldar like Corsair vehicle at this point? Uh, Necron, maybe. Necron. Necron. Yeah. Getting your things mixed. I don't know. I don't know why I can't find a good picture, but I like. We got the Spectre Mobile. Yeah, fair. I mean, I, I, flying. He looked. He looked the same, which is basically a giant crescent moon. Yeah. Yeah. I can't find a good picture of the moon copter, and it angers me. Hmm. <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, no, we got the and the Spectre Mobile is cool just because that was the first time that Mr. Knight was introduced was that rolled up and then he gets out and it just ties together. It was it's a cool comic thing. Well we have also that sequence at the end where we have Khonshu in a suit 
which is pretty cool. Yeah, so. which again, kind of more cool, kind of Kyle Dex. Uh, let's talk about Jake Lockley for a second. Or no, go ahead. Okay, he's he's a personality that is still working with Conchu that has no problem shooting Arthur in the back seat, and who well, apparently Conchu calls him his perfect avatar. Yeah, so that's what we know about him so far. <laughs> and we, well, no, no, I called him. I'm not sharing the credit here. I called him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I feel like anyone who done any research call, I read several articles that were pointing it out back in episode two. So, yes, but go back to episode one, and I said I want Jake Lockley to be introduced at the very end of the series with some version of who are you? Just introduce us, call him Jake Lockley, and he's got oh, like yeah. a cabbie hat and the driver's gloves. No, you definitely called out the very specific way that he would be introduced. I, I agree. And I had agreed no, with you back then, but that was all you. So I know I said I'm taking credit here because, but that does circle back to this is a new rule I'm going to implement because it, I was listening to a review of the final uh, episode, and the person reviewing it said that they had kind of mixed feelings because the internet spoiled Jake for them, because from episode one everyone's been talking about when is Jake going to show up. Okay, but here's the thing about that. This has. It's not nearly, oh man, I'm going to make a comparison to a much worse piece of media to prove a point, but I don't want, I don't want anyone to think You're not that. not equating. I, yeah, not equating. Doing that sequence at the end with, with the St. Jake Lockley reminded me very viscerally of how the recent Resident Evil movie ended by, by name dropping. Nobody saw that. Uh, I did. And that movie's end credit stinger dropped Ada Wong suddenly. And if you are a Resident Evil player, okay, you know what that means. And if you're not a Resident Evil player, okay, it's someone named Ada Wong. So to me, that's kind of what's going on here. We're like, okay, the series did a great job of setting up. There's a third personality. So the introducing him, that's the cool part. But And the, the real stinger from a not-in-the-know perspective is that the third personality is still working for Khonshu at the end. His name yeah. being Jake Lockley has no fucking meaning to to someone like me who has no connection to it. So it's like it's it's better because there's something else going on in the scene, but the actual name drop aspect of it actually feels like weird to me. <laughs> I'm not going to say it doesn't work, but the way they went on to explain it is and this was something that kind of made me pause and go, "Okay, yeah, no, this this is definitely a thing." is, you know, 10 years ago with Game of Thrones or um, Winter Soldier, there were people that knew the comics or knew the books, and they kind of knew which big characters or events were coming up, but they didn't make a point of, oh, just wait till you get to blank. And there were, and we hated those people. It's like, oh, you thought that was bad? Wait till you get to the Red Wedding. Wait till you get to the Wedding at the Twins, That you know. And we hated those people. They were dicks. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And... We as fans have kind of fallen into this trap. We assume everyone is the same level of know-how we are. And we kind of fell into that one with, like, is this the episode where Jake's going to appear? Where's this third personality? We kept, you know, so if you didn't know anything about Moon Knight and you're discovering these personalities organically, we kind of may have ruined the idea of, like, there's a third personality coming eventually. So me personally, I am going to try and remember moving forward that just because I know something comic-y, nerdy, geeky, doesn't mean everyone else does, and I should let people enjoy the surprise of getting there without all this, you know, knowledge that I have. 
Yeah, but again, I think that overlooks the fact that the show, by episode three, makes it abundantly clear that there's a third personality. It's just at that point, it becomes the gun on the table. It's, when is this going to go off? So I don't know, again, because we are coming at it from a place we we knew there was a third personality. We're trained to look for these things. We had Wunvog explaining the purpose of the red on the coffin. Like, it was hinting at, but how much was it really hinting at if you didn't know? And again, I'm not saying this has to be like podcast policy. This is my own personal policy I'm implementing. I'm going back to Game of Thrones. I know what happens to certain characters. I'm going to shut up in case somebody else doesn't. Yeah, but honestly, if you could watch episode three, have literally two and some episodes of setup of, okay, when when Oscar Isaac does the eye thing, he's switching another personality, and now we have a sequence where there is brutality happening that we don't get to see that both Steven and Mark acknowledge is not them. How el- What else is that possibly communicating to an audience? Like, the language from a narrative writing and visual perspective is screaming this. And then it gets even more so as the farther goes on. The, the sarcophagus, yes, the red stuff might not be obvious, but the fact that Stephen comes out of a sarcophagus and then we see one other sarcophagus, the show is is being as loud as it possibly can. There's a third personality, and that's the People part... People are stupid, though. <laughs> Yeah, that's not that's not the show's fault. So. No, but I'm not going to. This is good, stupid, and I'm not going to contribute to ruining that for somebody if I can help it. Yeah, and I, I would say this is, in the grand scheme, a minor a minor one. Like I'd say, even as a spoiler, it's it is a smaller one. So, uh, but if you're if you're disappointed about about spoil get being spoiled for you, that is a shame and. Being someone who does uh, does get very frustrated for things getting spoiled, uh, I definitely get it. Uh, but it's it's really hard with characters that are as old as this because it has the history behind it. Yeah, so, but Moon Knight's a really obscure character. Like, neither of you have ever read a Moon Knight comic or really would have heard of Moon Knight before this if it weren't for me. True. Like, I've, I've, seen, I've seen some jokes on it, but I, yeah. I, and I have still heard about the idea that there were multiple personalities. But, yeah, it is true. The, the Internet does have a huge problem about just talking about things. Yeah. Uh, when they're popular instead of letting people see them. Yeah, and that's, like I said, this is my own personal thing I'm implementing, kind of moving forward, because I hadn't realized we've fallen into this trap of, like earlier, we all assume everyone is the same level of comic literate that we are, but that's not the case. I don't know if, I don't know if that... Well, I don't even know if that's the case. I feel like that, like, what, where does that assumption even come from? I mean, the basic premise of you and I doing this, and then later on Wundvog, was the, a an acknowledgement of your knowledge when it comes to comics in this character is far exceeds my own. Like, that was a basic premise of doing this particular Echo Log series, and we kind of knew that going forward. So but, uh, you guys also did start it with, hey, we're going to be talking deeply about this show and its characters, Watch it before coming here. Again, <laughs> just like what Moonbox said, we said that too, and we made it a so, point in our reviews to be like, I, hey, here's a- I think you I, guys are doing a good job of it. Yeah, but I also but I, made a point. I didn't talk about how Mark died in the comics. I didn't talk about his relationship 
to his love interest in the comics or how that would be tied in. There was a bunch of Moon Knight stuff I held back on because I didn't want, I was conscious of like, okay, well, people are going to want to know how Mark died and, you know, how he falls to Khonshu and his connection with Layla's father. And okay, let, let, let me try to put it this way. When I think about an end credit stinger or a after the story stinger, because it doesn't have to be after the credits, it's got to accomplish a couple things. One, it should be something that was either out completely out of left field in regards to the actual piece that it's connected to or only lightly touched on. It, it shouldn't be something that is like, this was the main thing happening and suddenly we put it at the end like it doesn't belong here for some reason. Two, it has to have some sort of understanding to an audience, but not too much. It's meant to uh, generate interest, um, but it's also meant to like create you know, like a mystery kind of thing. Like we use, for example, the original Marvel stinger with, you know, I'm I'm Nick Fury, Agent of Shield. I want to talk about the Avengers Initiative, and we talk about how that stinger connected to its movie. We had a literal agent show up in about three scenes through the course of the movie, saying I'm from this department, and then at the very end, we're like just call it Shield, so we have an understanding of what Shield is. But the average audience member doesn't know who Nick Fury is and doesn't know what the Avengers Initiative is. So they're given three pieces of information, one of which they know, and two of which that they can kind of build on based on the context of what's going on. Similarly, let's look at, from a similar perspective, this Jake Lockley thing. The thing that is it's building on is, all right, we know there's multiple personalities, now we get to see one of them. The interest generation isn't his name, because there's no context for who Jake Lockley is. The interest is... And he's still with Conchu. Conchu is controlling or at least directing this personality. That's that was my point. Is just that like the actual Jake Lockley aspect of it is kind of a non-entity when it comes to that scene from a perspective of someone who doesn't know the character. Only on this podcast could I go. Here's a rule that I'm going to implement for me personally. Would you rebuttal with? Here's a five-minute diatribe on why you're wrong to have that opinion. No, I don't think there's anything wrong with your rule. I just spent like five minutes defending, and here's why I personally do not subscribe to your personal philosophy. Like, okay, thank you, but no, 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 no. That was more. That was more. I was trying to put out a point, and then we kept moving away from the point. Like, I gotta get this out of here. So, like, okay, when it comes to your actual rule thing, here's here's my rebuttal to your rule thing. Oh God, no. No, fine. I personally, I don't care about spoilers really. I think putting it forward at the beginning of everything be like, "Hey, we're going to talk about spoilers. Here you go." Is the right way right way to go about it. Beyond that, I feel like making any assumptions we want is perfectly reasonable. There are so many pieces of media I would not have even had at all had it not been spoiled for me. I mean, the example I always give is Mother, a movie whose trailer made me actively not want to watch it. Then the entire movie was spoiled for me. Then I went and saw it, and it was my second favorite movie, movie of that year. So different people, different strokes. Just put give them the option by putting it up front. So you're perfectly allowed to have this kind of rule. I feel like just understanding that different people have different knowledge bases is, I don't know, a normal part of making content, I guess. So anyways... The creators have come out and said that the first draft of this script had Echo as Mark's love interest and Bushman as the villain. Okay. I know why they made those choices, but I don't like them. All right. Well, Echo, who pops up in Hawkeye, I'm just trying to think, like, 
You're only doing that because she was a brief paramour of Moon Knight in the Bendis run, and it didn't really work there as anything interesting. And I think she was much more interesting as a character in Hawkeye than she would have been to be in Moon Knight's, you know, interest. Plus, you either have to retrofit Layla's entire, you have to exercise Layla's entire backstory or retrofit it onto Echo, which just gets weirder and more complicated and bad and I know they're going to do Bushman, but I don't know what they're going to do with Bushman to make him interesting. I don't know. I have no context for that. So he's um, in the comics. He's just another mercenary who betrayed Mark, and Mark cuts his face off. Goodness. I mean, it feels like Punisher season two already treaded that ground. So yeah, no, the, that's one of the bad runs of Moon Knight. It's not very interesting, except for the Telltale Heart element. But I'm glad they quickly scrapped that because it's like, what are you? What, what story? It, where does that story go? Like Harrow, I thought was a much more interesting character, and he became more interesting when he's like, I know I'm flawed and I'm ready to die. It's like, oh, you really have drank the Kool Aid. Okay, cool. Yeah. Now he's a true believer. The fact that he actually had no interest in personal power, it was granted to him partially because he had no interest in personal power makes it's you know what's interesting about him or one of the things interesting about him. Yeah, no, I thought that was perfect. So I'm glad they kind of scrapped that one. And then at one point there was going to have this was going to cross over with the Eternals and they were going to have some one of the Eternals show up in ancient Egypt, but it got cut for budgetary reasons. I mean the Eternals does make sense as a tie in here since we've already established that the Eternals were were seen as gods by ancient civilizations and Egypt actually predates Greece, so yeah, that could work easily. Yeah, no, my brain just went like, which Eternal would it be? Have to be one of the spendy ones if it was a budgetary issue, but none of those actors are cheap. And uh, also, uh, yeah, but also it's like, no, I liked that this was very Marvel absent in that you just know inherently this is part of it, but it doesn't have to say it, you know? One other thing that I, I wanted to mention, cer- certainly, that I thought was cool, I mentioned this to Moonbug as soon as we were done, I like that Conchu is very obviously a villain. Like yes. he's, I mean, we knew he was a bad, like a jerk, but the way he is portrayed and how he carries himself and how he talks, he is definitely a villain. The show goes out of his way to be like, he's not the villain, because that's what Ahmed and Harrow is, and they're a bigger threat, but Conchu is definitely a villain, and the show doesn't mm-hmm. shine away, which I think is cool. No, that lifted straight from the comics. I mean, episode one, when you asked me who are Moon Knight's traditional villains, I listed Gonshu as one of Moon Knight's traditional villains. Yeah. Because Moon Knight is an old school god in that he's like, I have a job to do, and I want to be feared and respected while I'm doing it. And he doesn't care well, if people love him. He's like, especially. No. Well, especially there's a line he says in the final stinger where he says something like, why would I ever need anyone else when Mark is far more trouble than even he thinks he is or something like that, which is basically him staying straight up. I like controlling people who are broken because they're easier to control. Yeah, no, his whole line about being, you know, you are my vengeance. That is not kind. Gods are not vengeance driven. Yeah, generally speaking. So, no, I love that Moon, that 
Khonshu very much directly kind of captures or it's a it's a perfect carryover from how he is in the comics. There are big runs where, you know, Mark rejects Khonshu and just, you know, defends people on the streets as himself. Like it's kind of implied that's what Mr. Knight was about was him rejecting Khonshu. Um, yeah. Oh, another note, we didn't get the god jailbreak that we wanted, but... Yeah, I'm so curious, like, who are those other gods and what did they do? Like, Stagathor said, like, if I were Layla, I would just start freeing gods left, right, and center. I said, you don't know what they did. They could be, they uh-huh. could totally blow up in your face. I mean, I imagine the entire reason Layla didn't do that was because she probably didn't want to free any of the gods, because her only experience with gods are Khonshu and Amit at that point, one of which is straight up evil to her perspective, and the other which is not to be trusted, so yeah, so I guess last things last. If we get a season two, where do we think it's going to go? And if we don't get a season two, where do you think this is going to go? If we get a season two, it will likely be a contest. And I don't mean that in like the, a, I mean like literally a contest of wills between Mark and Steven and Jake Lockley, where the main point of the show would be or the main point of the season would probably be Mark and Steven trying to figure out a way to force Conchu out of them while Jake, whenever he takes over, tries to undermine them. There'd probably also be, if I was thinking putting on my writer cap, something that Conchu wants Jake to do that Steven and Mark both object to. So Jake, when he takes over, is trying to accomplish his mission while Steven and Mark are trying to force Conchu out. And of course, there'll be a backdrop of them trying to figure out where did Jake come from? What is his purpose? How do we basically yeah. tie ourselves together by, you know, to become one entity like, like Steven and Mark already did? How do we incorporate Jake into this to become a trio? So I'd say those are like the three main points I think are likely in a season I two. think you have to, if you season two a movie, they're going to have to contend with the fact of the story of Mark going forward needs to be Mark trying to reconcile Jake in the same way that he reconciled Stephen. Yeah. And figuring that all out. And maybe I don't, I, I don't want to see a redemption arc because I don't like the, I can fix him because I learned to be fixed. I think that is a bland storytelling trope that gets overdone too much but to recognize what Jake represents and just kind of accepting that he's got a, he's in a devil's bargain with Conchu of, I don't like you, but I can do good with you, which would tie in perfect with what I think they're building towards. And I hope they're building towards is the dark Avengers with black Knight, blade, Dr. Strange and ghost Rider, who would make a perfect parallel to this version of moon Knight. As a quick sidebar, Woundvog and I just came back from Doctor Strange. Without going into detail, there's a scene in it that literally had Woundvog lean over to me and say, you want Ghost Rider? Because this is how you get Ghost Rider. Yep. No, it's definitely there. Like I said, Phase 4 is building towards a couple things, if you know where to look. Uh, Woundvog, what do you think? What would you want or and or think are going to happen in a Season 2? Uh, I'd say even before getting to Season 2, uh... In the interim, I would love to see in either maybe small bits in show or uh, or in movies or in the shows that come out after this have Moon Knight appear without con or without uh, much context and have it be 
of course, at this point, uh, either Jake, Mark, or Steven, depending on the hero. So now there is this conflicting setup of who Moon Knight is and how he operates. And in the different outfits, you could literally have other heroes think it's a trio of entities. I like that. Because we'll have everyone has a different opinion on. Like I met him, he was nice. I met him, he was a fucking psychopath. Yeah, because it's like we'll have this, you know, goober in a suit that uh, seems to be a little bit posh, but will uh, help people as much as he can. We'll have the no nonsense fighter uh, who still tries to do what's right, and then we'll have the uh, the heartless mercenary who does what needs to be done. And you can kind of play him as a kind of sort of villain, maybe hero, creating, and it ties well with, you know, poor uh, Mark in his life is constantly in chaos because he's got other people trying to run it. Yes. And then, I like that one. Yeah, and then in, in a season two, maybe having to deal with some of these people coming to try and stop him from doing bad shit. And... Yeah, I'd say reconciling with Jake either by actually having that moment where you have to get over the psychotic break that caused him making, if it if it is impossible, making that consciousness go away, or like it's been showing, yeah, he's uh, he's kind of a Faustian bargain where. He keeps them safe, but he's also going to do the most damage. Yeah. No, he kind of fit, like, if we are building to a Dark Avengers, which I kind of think they are, he represents the Hulk element. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. I can see that. Uh, I also like, again, with the whole phases of the moon motif, uh, he's clearly the dark, the new moon, the dark side. Honestly, yeah. though, I, I do think that it's perfectly reasonable, or not reasonable, I think it's perfectly possible at this point that Moon Knight doesn't cross over with anyone. Yes, I understand Ulrich's point that, oh, he showed up at Avengers Compound at, like, Disney World, but I don't think that inherently may, means that he'll show up with other characters. The fact that oh, this yeah. season is so insular means that they might be treating it more like a single comic run, and Moon Knight will just get to have his own... I'm not going to complain. That's what you want to do because that also works because the biggest problem with Moon Knight and kind of a couple other uh, Marvel heroes is their power sets only really work either on a street level or on a team fighting bad guys level. And Moon Knight really fits nicely in this I help stop muggers level versus I have intergalactic uh, levels and punch giant robots, you know? Yeah. I mean, to to be fair, that was always one of the funniest things about Spider-Man. They draw attention to it in the comics that, like, he is – Spider-Man is peak street level. Like, he's he's basically in a, a middle between street I'd level. If his villains weren't so powerful, I'd be like, Spider-Man, you're going to kill somebody. We need to, you know, upgrade you. Daredevil, we need to downgrade you. Yeah, but my my point is, I think it's funny because like they make they make references to uh, there's a comic I read where the Fantastic Four call up Spider Man for help with a kaiju, and he's like, "You guys know I'm terrible at dealing with kaiju, right?" <laughs> yeah, see, that's where you need a Hulk. There's there's a whole power scaling. I don't know. 
overall, I think we all liked it. This has been fun to do week by week, but for the love of all the we don't we don't really do again. Yeah, we don't really do numbers here because I think numbers cause a lot of problems for a lot of reasons. I prefer doing like general just kind of feelings. I I watched this thing recently where this guy talked about, hey, here's a show that I think is objectively a ten out of ten, but my experience with it was a seven out of ten. And I think there's something valid in that kind of description. Because, like, when I think about my experience with Moon Knight, I think I probably had, like, a 7 out of 10 experience with it. I think, objectively, it's probably, like, an 8 out of 10, 8.5 out of 10 show. But there's just such a lot of good stuff on right now that I have more, I don't know, just more feeling of, I guess. But I think it was a very solid piece of media. And I think Oscar Isaacs is a great actor, and seeing him do stuff is, is great. Yeah. yeah, it's a good show. Uh, very enjoyable. Um, in all honesty, if if you tried watching it and felt a little lost, now that it's all out, I think it will flow better. Especially if uh, if you can get to an end episode and just go, what is going on? For the most part, that question will be answered as the episodes continue. Yeah. Yeah, no. I'm happy that I got... Not only something Moon Knight, but fairly close to the comic version of Moon Knight that I love. And I really feel like this created a whole new raft of Moon Knight fans. Like, I've seen a lot of people going back and finding comics, and Marvel being very big in reprinting old trades of, here's a great collection. I'm like, oh, finally, I can get that one for my collection. It's not going to cost me $200 because it's been out of print for 10 years. Yeah. So far, the biggest of, uh, the biggest effect I've seen is the predominance of Sailor Moon Knight fan art. Yeah, no, that was uh, that when it was first announced. I mean, the jingle lines up too well, too. Yeah, well, it, it doesn't help that Sailor Moon actually had a really killer opening track. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, the I'm gonna kick your ass. <laughs> No, this has been fun, but never Ooh. again. One fun thing I want to point out, too. I read somewhere, someone was talking about Khonshu the god and how one of the things uh, Khonshu is is a fertility god as well. Um, not to the same, like, extent as, as like, Towerette, but he is a god of, like, sensualness, probably connected with, the you know, the moon being generally a feminine symbol in a lot of ancient cultures. And someone pointed out, I'm not seeing any of this, except for the fact that they casted Oscar Isaacs. That's <laughs> kind of apparent then. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Which I thought was funny. It made me laugh. So many damn horny people out there. It's the internet, yes. Yes, there are. <laughs> I knew I should have created orgyfinder.org. Okay, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that is the episode... Thank you if you've been a patron for listening to us all. Thank you if you're a listener and you've just listened to the massive three-hour cut that is all our stuff, foibles and all. And thank you to Woundvog for coming on and being our voice of reason. Yeah, it was always fun. Enjoy being a moderator between you two. <laughs> yeah. And whatever platform you're currently listening to this on, whether it be Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Cast, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Fireside Alliance, or Spotify, where you can rate us. Uh, thank you. I don't know where Ulrich's going to put the big giant one, so um, if big there's giant some... giant one's dropping on the main feed. 
Okay, well, point is, if there is some platform that you want us to be on that we're not currently on, tell us about it, and we'll look into it. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.